Hospitality Media presents the Mike and Mo Show. Now here are your hosts, Mike Calandrillo and Maurice Moten. And here we are, it's lucky episode number seven of the Mike and Mo Show. I'm Mike Calandrillo, he is Maurice Moten, and we are only a few days away from the final four. That's right. The final four were my University of North Carolina Tar Heels. We'll be taking on some other guys. Uh, it's not really important who they are, but what's important is, is that it's going to be a fantastic final four. We're going to break it down for you. We got plenty of uh, Buddy Healed. We're going to talk a little bit about Kobe. We got some other fantastic stuff. Mo, why don't you hit him up with the rest of the info? I'm surprised you didn't mention the opening of baseball because by the time we get on air again, baseball would have had their opening day for, for all teams. They Most teams will start on either the third or the fourth, I believe. True. So uh, that's something to look forward to. We also, as Mike said, we're going to talk about some basketball, uh, mostly some. Actually, we're going to get into some uh, music industry mess. Mm. As you know, the D'Angelo Russell, Nick Young saga continues with more information. Again, we'll talk about NCAA, of course, the other team that Mike was referring to facing his North Carolina Tar Heels, the Syracuse Orangemen. We'll talk about that. And we'll talk about some some weird moves that the 76ers could be making. Uh, again, I, I've given up on this franchise, but we'll delve into that later on. So, Mo, where are we going right now? Uh, we're going to start off with uh, Mike's first hand experience at a baseball game, spring training. I know a lot of you probably say what's so important about spring training, but Mike's got some some info for you, and we're going to get into something pretty fun to talk about as far as uh, injuries and athletes. Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, spring training, obviously, we have it in Florida, we have it in Arizona. Uh, you know, East Coast, West Coast, everybody else has their regular season, but in Florida, we, you know, it's a fun time because me as a Yankee fan, you know, we don't get to see uh, the Yankees very much. Yes, they come down to Tampa. They play nine times a year down here, and if I really want to go all the way to Miami, there's a, I think it's April 1st and 2nd, they're playing the uh, the Marlins in uh, the last two exhibition games. But here they were, they were in my backyard, they were down at the Wire World of Sports playing the Atlanta Braves. Uh, yes, the Braves still play baseball. Not very well, but they are, you know, they're trying. They're coming around. They got some, they made some nice moves this past winter, so they'll be back in a couple years. But it was fun just, just to go down and, uh, you know, see how many Yankee fans made the trip. Obviously, the Yankees' home field is up in Tampa, Steinbrenner Field, you know, it, you know, I'm a little biased, but I think it's one of the the best. Um, I think it's one of the best spring training homes in all of uh, you know spring training them all over. Uh, obviously, Florida and uh, Arizona, like I said. But uh, you know, when you when you walk up to the park, and again, you're spending some money here. I mean, again, these aren't the tickets. They have, let's say, you call them the lawn seats. They have the berm, as they call it. Those seats are, are more money than they should be, especially when teams like the Yankees come into town. Uh, you know, call it inflation. Call it what you will. Uh, they, they raise the prices. And I understand that's because, you know, they're going to get more people to come out to these games. And actually, almost 10,000 fans came out to see the Yankees yesterday. So, it, you know, it's awesome to see everybody else in their Yankee, you know, regalia and everybody, you know, wearing the pinstripes, rocking the NY. I mean, it, it's just a great time. Then you walk up to, um, you know, you walk up to where they have the uh, LED kind of uh, scoreboard slash who's playing for the day. And, you know, you're always hopeful because you don't know who exactly is going to pitch, who you're going to see. You hope you get a couple regulars. Well, I got like two regulars. Uh, you know, I got Ivan Nova, who is fighting for the last uh, 
starting rotation spot to fifth rotation spot. He's been duking it out with CC Sabathia. So I was lucky enough to see a guy that, you know, we know he's been up at the Yankees now four or five years. And I got to see Brett Gardner, who, you know, is the Yankees number two hitter, left fielder. Uh, obviously, he's playing because he missed most of spring training coming back from the uh, surgery on his wrist that he had in the offseason. So it was good to see him. But pretty much that's where it ended as far as getting to see the regulars, or so I thought. I did get to see Aaron Hicks, who the Yankees acquired from the uh, Minnesota Twins in exchange for J.R. Murphy. Uh, I like really like Aaron Hicks. You're going to hear a lot about him. I think this season he's a switch hitter, just coming into his prime. He's 27 years old. Uh, he he kind of does it all. He's got speed. He's got a good arm. Great, great defensive center fielder who can also play the corners. And, you know, he hits for power. Yeah, you know, he's uh, he's kind of one of those guys that was in the Twins organization, organization so long. And he had so much, I guess, that prospect label that he kind of fell off to the side after a couple injury-plagued seasons. But last year, stayed healthy for most of the year. You know, almost hit a 20 home runs. But I guess the Twins felt with, uh, the you know, bringing up Byron Buxton this year, who is supposed to be, you know, the next coming that he was expendable. So I was glad to see him. He had three hits. Getting back to that, he had three hits yesterday. Really, really nice. And, you know, a bunch of guys who are, you know, not only fighting to make the club, but guys that are going to be going down to AAA because, again, we only have – like Mo said, three days until the start of Major League uh, camp breaks, and we get to see some actual baseball. So Dustin Ackley was there. Uh, you know, he'll be backing up first base. He's also going to be a utility guy. And no, not, not much else. Obviously, Atlanta played most of their regulars because this is a team that's trying to find an identity, a team that's trying to find themselves. So long story short, Ivan, Ivan Nova went six innings strong. Uh, doesn't strike out a lot of guys. Obviously, he only struck out one. But he looked really good. And in my, in my opinion, he should be the fifth, uh, fifth starter. For Joe Girardi and the bunch because he's he's young he's got a lot of upside. Cesar Spati is on the downward side of his career. He's only signed for one more season. Uh, I, I just don't see it. I, I think the best that a CC you're going to get is maybe four innings, and that's not something you want, especially with what I'm about to tell you right now. So fast forward to the seventh inning, and again, Joe Girardi had came out and said early in the day that he was wanted to get his bullpen into use. So. Here's where we are. We're setting up the play. Andrew Miller is coming into the game. Obviously, Yankees at this point uh, had just taken the lead to nothing. Everything is looking good. And Miller's throwing his warm-up pitches. Literally, the first pitch that he throws, some dude with number 85 on his back, and unless you're a tight end in football playing for the San Diego Chargers, when you wear 85 in baseball, it's not a good sign. It's usually a sign that you're you're not going to be with the club. And so Miller throws one of his patented 96-mile-an-hour fastball. It's the first pitch of the at-bat. You're up. You just want to get the ball over the plate. You, you just want to get... Let, let him hit the ball. Let your defense work. Well, when I tell you that I was taking a photo of Miller in his windup, throwing the pitch, and the next thing I know, I look up and you hear just like that. It's because the ball came off the bat I would have to say at 100, 103 miles an hour and struck Andrew Miller dead. Dead on the right wrist. And all you heard, besides the gasp of every Yankee fan from here until the Bronx, was him scream. Okay? Now, right away, the ball bounced to, I believe it was the third base side. And Miller slams his glove on the ground and walks directly, takes a beeline for the dugout. Obviously, not a good thing. And if you've ever played a sport or you've gotten hurt before, you know that if you need to get the heck out of there, something's wrong. So as Miller made his way to the dugout and the Yankees uh, head trainer came out and Joe Girardi came out, Miller then fired his hat into the dugout, obviously in a lot of pain. So 
to to this extent, I was having a great time. Me and my dad, we got a couple dogs. We were talking fantasy baseball. We were just talking baseball in general. Just, you know, reliving it all. Talking about the Yankee season that what could be. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, oh my God, he broke his wrist. Now, you know, if you've been up to date on what's going on, Miller is going to see a hand specialist later in the week because after the CT scan came back, he did suffer a chip fracture in his right wrist. Now, obviously, he's a left-handed pitcher, but you still need to catch the ball. And God forbid if the ball gets hit again at him and you have a semi-chip fracture, you may have a really big fracture. But <laughs> Miller's a funny guy. He is a fellow Tar Heel. Uh, he came out and he actually said, yeah, I know, Mo, I'm sorry, tooting my own horn. He came out and he says today in the, in the news, he says, I don't really see any reason why I can't walk around with it. Uh, excuse me, why I can't work around it. Unless for some reason the doctor tells me I have to protect it for some reason that we don't foresee. I plan to be able to manipulate my glove around it and not really worry about it. Okay, I get that. Next, though, Miller says, I'd probably find another doctor. I can't imagine not playing because of something on my right hand. Now, Andrew, baby, I love it, man. I love it. You're a competitor. You're a fighter. You know that our oldest Chapman is suspended for 30 games. You're our closer. And right now, if you go down, it gets a little choppy. Yes, we can move Dellen Batantis into the ninth, but then everybody's got to move up. Chasen Shreve's got to move to eight, maybe Kirby Yates at seven. Found out today that Brian Mitchell, who also pitched in yesterday's game, has a broken toe. So yesterday was kind of like uh, you know, a mash unit. He broke his toe coming off the mound to cover first base. He's going to miss three months. I don't know what kind of toe knocks you off for three months, but obviously maybe it's the big toe. I don't know. So... Uh, I give you all the credit in the world, Andrew. I, I think it's uh, a lot of courage, baby. A lot of guys would not be uh, would not be up to pitching with a broken anything, let alone what you got. Uh, but again, this is something you've got one year left on your deal. Uh, I just it's tough. God forbid something happens where this becomes a, a, a huge setback, a career defining kind of injury. It's hard to say. I mean, you know, again. We love you. New York loves you for this. I don't know if it's the best idea. If, if I mean, I'm, this is the type of injury that you've got to be, you got to think is going to take you at least eight weeks to kind of come back around. Yet, like I said, it's not the throwing arm, so that's huge, but it is just as important to a certain extent. So, it's just it was just like it was one of those wow moments that you see on TV and you think like, oh yeah, okay, he got hurt, I understand. Or you read about later and you're like, oh yeah, that guy was injured. But when you see it, you see it actually happening and all the kind of you, – you, your body goes limp and your face goes flush. You're just like, oh my god, it, it's like it's like witnessing a car accident. It's, some, it's horrible. You don't want to think about it. You don't even want – you, God forbid, want to see it. But I did. And, you know, trying to be the eternal optimist that I am, I'm saying, okay, we moved Batances here and we do this. But it's, wow, this guy had over 40 saves last year. He was the Yankees closer. One of the bright spots on a team that was pretty good. But without Miller, who knows where we would be. And you lump that in with the other injuries we're already starting to see. Season hasn't even started yet. And we've lost Chapman for 30 games. And it could be a little bit of panic time. But, you know, he says he wants to pitch. I give him all the credit in the world. Hopefully this works out for the best. And, you know, uh, the Yankees and, and Andrew Miller will, you know, win a couple games because of it. But that is my firsthand experience. Wow. For, uh, for you know, finishing up the spring training note on a bang. Uh, and like I said, I think it's kind of weird that, you know, spring training can kind of change the prices of games depending on where you're going. I know teams do that. But, again, you spend 50 bucks on a ticket and you roll up to the gate and you see two guys that you've heard of and a bunch of guys that – 
aren't going to be with the club. So it's an interesting kind of push and pull relationship, but it was just, it was a great day. It was hot. It was nice. It was a little bit of wind, a little bit of raindrops. And up until that seventh inning was fantastic. Yes, the Yankees did win two nothing. So, uh, overall great day, but I just hope in the long run that, uh, we can we can rebound from this, and you know it's almost like well maybe it should have rained in the fourth inning and we wouldn't have got this far because if it comes back to bite us, yikes. Well, I got two shout outs and I got one suggestion. The first is the suggestion maybe Andrew Miller wears a JPP bit on his on his wrist or arm <laughs> just to kind of get him out there so he can kind of at least protect himself from a line drive if it comes at him. You know, just 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 a thought there. Uh, two shout-outs. Um, one thing I did notice on your social media account, you posted a picture of you and your dad, which is a cool picture. Thank you. You had a Yankee cap on. Mm-hmm. Thanks for uh, showing New York some love after I showed after I had my Angels cap on at the Nets game two weeks ago. Yeah, I was curious about that. So, yeah, I mean, showing showing some coastal love there. I mean, I showed some L.A. love. I know you, you came from L.A. to Orlando, and you showing the Bronx and New York City some love. So I, I appreciated that. With Andrew Miller possibly missing some time, and Aroldo Chapman serving a 30-day suspension um, with his with his issue. Dylan Batantis couldn't open as the closer. And one thing about Dylan Batantis is that he went to a school not too far away from where I live. He went to Grand Street Campus. Go Wolves. I have a best friend who actually went there. I'm pretty sure he actually knows Batantis or knows of him. Okay. Maybe not best friends with him, but <laughs> knows who he is. So it's good to see a, a Brooklyn product make it to, to the big leagues and possibly get a chance in, on opening day as a closer. I don't know how you feel about Batances as a closer. I don't know if that makes you nervous for opening day on April 4th against the Astros, but hopefully he has a good showing if Miller has to miss extended time, especially with Chapman out. Absolutely. No, Batances came in. He came in uh, right after Miller got hurt, and this guy is just phenomenal. I mean, forget that he's almost six foot ten, you know, 240 pounds. Right. The guy throws consistently 90 97, 98, and let me tell you, when when you can throw 97, 98, and he came back with a changeup that was in the low 80s. Guys were so far ahead; they were doing like that Bugs Bunny cartoon where they like swivel themselves <laughs> down into the dirt, and then he breaks off like an 84 mile an hour uh, breaking ball. And I'm telling you, these guys were their their legs were were like jello; they were shaking. They didn't want to be in the box anymore. So this kid is phenomenal. On any other team. He's the closer. He's saving 40, 50 games. I, I just, I, I'm just glad that he's a New York Yankee, and we're lucky enough that he, you know, in a perfect world, he's the seventh inning guy. Obviously, now he could be the ninth, but, you know, when all is right in the world, you've got him seven, you've got Miller eight, and you've got Chapman nine. I mean, these guys throw 97, 98, 99. It, how, that's, that's insane. And obviously, that's what the Yankees are doing this year. They're ready to go with a bullpen that is phenomenal, that can basically allow the the starting pitching to only go, you know, five, six innings max. Five, you know, five is okay. We would love to go six. That's why you kind of bridge the gap with guys like Jason Shreve, Kirby Yates. There's, you know, a couple other guys that are that are in the mix. But, man, your boy Batantis, I love him. He's, he's fantastic. And it, all takes, and it all takes a Brooklyn guy to help out these Bronx people. Uh, <laughs> shout out to the Bronx and Brooklyn on that one. But mm-hmm. this, uh, this product, uh, he could be a good addition, and hopefully he makes some noise, and hopefully he gets a chance to prove himself because I'm, I'm rooting for him. Even though I didn't go to the school, again, it's so close to me. I have a lot of friends who went there, and I'm sure he would represent all of them. The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reported that Will Smith, a pitcher from the Milwaukee Brewers, tore his LCL by just taking off his cleat. Now, I don't know about you, Mike, but there have been a lot of freak injuries going on in sports, baseball in particular. Since you're a Yankees fan, I'm sure you remember uh, Chamberlain 
hurting his ankle, I believe, on a trampoline, which is insane. Yeah. Why are you jumping on a trampoline? Especially if I remember, uh, Jaffa Chamberlain is not a small guy, so you shouldn't be jumping on a trampoline at that size. Absolutely. But anyway, but anyway, uh, Will Smith reportedly was standing up, lost his bounce, and twisted his knee. Now, to me, I see this as as not maybe too much of a freak injury, being as the way he tried to take off his cleat, because if you're going to try to take off your shoe, your cleat, you should sit down and do it. To yeah. me, in my opinion, I equate this to a shower slip. Basically, you're in the shower. How many times have you been in the shower? You go to step out and you slip. Sure. Now, there are a lot of people who, who have slipped. Thankfully, I haven't yet, but there have been plenty of times where I took that first step and I almost ended my life, <laughs> hit my head on, on the faucet or the shower head, and just that could have been it. Yeah. So this guy just twisted his knee. He he may have escaped a bullet because luckily he wasn't in the shower. Because if he was, that could have been a huge problem. Oh yeah, he he's, he's uh, I hate to say it, but he could have injured a lot more than an LCL. It's just a shame because again, the season hasn't started yet, and this is a guy that again we're talking about closers and how important closers are in baseball. And he was supposed to be the opening day closer. I mean, a lefty, especially a lefty specialist. Uh, you don't see that very often. I mean, the days of, of Billy Wagner, who used to be with the Mets. I mean, you don't see very many great hard-throwing lefties, you know, a la Andrew Miller. So, again, it's it's a shame for a Milwaukee team that's going to, you know, not have a very good year. But like you said, man, there are so many weird, weird, horrible injuries that happen, and it seems like they mostly happen in baseball. I, I, that kind of makes me hurt inside because I how passionate I am about the game of baseball. The funny thing is, at least there's good news. Uh, it's reported that he'll take a non-surgical approach and he'll just rest it for three weeks and then he'll test it out. So hopefully he's okay. But uh, definitely dodged a bullet there. Again, like I said, it could have been a lot worse. At least he learns a lesson. Yeah. Sit down first before you take off your shoe or cleat. You know, take your time. Let's not try to be the most, you know, flexible, athletic person ever and, and take off your shoes and cleats while you're standing up. Now, there's one injury that I can relate to a freak injury. If you remember way back, Sammy Sosa threw out his back sneezing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, this sounds ridiculous, but I've actually done this before, and it's possible. I actually sneezed once, and I, I don't know what I did to my back, but I wasn't able to walk straight for two days. I had to miss work and everything. Like, it was painful. I had to go to the chiropractor, actually. So, <laughs> let's not laugh at Sammy Sosa for sneezing and hurting his back. Mm. That's actually pretty possible, because... I don't know if you heard these sneezes lately. If you ride the subway in, your, in New York City, there are some violent sneezes out there, and, and that jerk can really hurt a ligament, a tweak of back, or something. So, so not very funny, but it can happen. So you heard it here, folks. Sneezing can lead to death. So let's yeah, just yes. put that out there. But you know, it's funny because you hear about these things, and and it it kind of it. I wanted to know more for whatever reason because I was intrigued. Like how many how many ridiculous injuries are out there? And obviously, we've all heard. By now about Jason Pierre-Paul. We all know about Plaxico Burris and his, you know, nightclub incident with some sweatpants and a handgun that just don't mix. But, you know, it, a couple years ago, you had Nate Burleson, who was in a, a one-car car accident and uh, broke his broke his arm because it was a, it was a pizza. There was a pizza on the seat that he didn't want to fall on the ground. So he saved the pizza, broke his arm. But he did get a lifetime supply of DiGiorno pizza, which is pretty good. Um... Sticking with football, there was another one which was really ridiculous. If you remember a couple years ago, Pro Bowl punter Chris Hansen of the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, took a swing with an axe. And this was a team-building exercise, I reiterate. uh, Took the axe, and the axe did not go into the wood. It bounced off and went directly into Hansen's non-kicking foot. 
which created a huge gash, and then it was uh, serious enough that he almost lost a foot and required serious, serious surgery. So, um, chop harder, I, I guess, but that's terrible. And then a couple other more ridiculous ones, um, former big leaguer Glenn Allen Hill uh, told reporters, and this is what he told reporters, there were no actual eyewitnesses, uh, years ago that he was dreaming that spiders were attacking him, causing him <laughs> to wake up fall out of bed, and crash through a glass <laughs> table as he attempted to escape. My, my, my question is, why are why is a glass table so close to your bed, sir? Um, so, yeah. And then there's Joel Zumaya, who used to be a, a, a big-time prospect with the Detroit Tigers uh, back in 2006 during the ALCS of all, game, of all series. He, was, uh, he missed a number of games due to an inflamed wrist and forearm in his throwing arm from constantly playing Guitar Hero. That's right, Guitar Hero, yes? Uh, continuing with the baseball theme, Wade Boggs, he missed uh, a lot of games in the 1980s after spraining his back when he, too, tried to pull off his shoe, but this time it was a cowboy boot. What is with shoes? So anybody heard of like get a friend, pull off, you know, from the heel or get a shoe horn? What is wrong with people? So James, if you're listening, if you're writing up these contracts for players, you need to ban trampolines. Yes. Easy. Yes. Pizza, Guitar Hero, and there was one more. Am I missing one? Oh, I got, I got a couple more that were even more ridiculous. I'll save in the best for last. Uh, one of them was that uh, back in the day. Tom Glavin and Kevin Mitchell, who used to play for the Atlanta Braves, they suffered broken ribs due to severe vomiting thanks to an in-flight meal. Huh? Pretty good, right? The next one, next one I really like, Clint Barmas, uh, used to be with the Colorado Rockies, fell down a flight of stairs and broke his collarbone while carrying a load of venison, which was given to him from his teammate, Todd Helton. A lot of venison. Then there's Ken Griffey Jr. Hugh. We all love, love you, Ken. One of my favorite all-time players. He missed a number of games after his protective cuff pinched a testicle. Now, Isn't it supposed to do the opposite protection? It's supposed to, but if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever worn a cuff, um, it can go, it can go wrong real fast. Real Can't fast. they, like, invent something else that's a little softer? Um, not if you want to protect the crown jewels. I mean, I mean it's, it's pretty much it's as simple as that. And then probably the most ridiculous of all, Brett Barbary, who uh, at one time was married to Jillian Barbary, if you remember her from the early mo- uh, morning Fox uh, telecast back in the day. Uh, they were divorced, obviously. Uh, he rubbed his eye while he had chili juice on his fingers and missed <laughs> multiple weeks of playing time. <laughs> So there you have it, folks. Yeah. You have a litany of excuses you can use when you don't want to go to work on a rainy day. Yeah, just grab you some. You can use any one of them. Absolutely. Put your boss in and use one of these excuses, and I'm sure it'll go over well. I mean, there's documentation there that this this happens to people. Ridiculous things happen to highly paid individuals. Hey, I mean, when I hurt my back, I didn't tell my boss, hey, I, I sneeze and, and I kind of throw my back. I was just like, kind of like, you know, kind of slept on it the wrong way. Oh. You know, didn't want to mention the embarrassing sneeze that brought brought the ailment on. Yeah, that's you know, because you're that's because you're more money, more dollars. Yeah, we, we got to cover ourselves here. We can't affect our money. Can't affect our cash flow. No, not at all. All right, now that we've done over the most ridiculous things in sports, let's talk about the final four. Wait, before we before we talk about that, I I, I think I have a call. Is Bayam? Is that you? <laughs> you, you want an apology from Mike? You want it handwritten. Oh, a handwritten. I'll give you a handwritten something. Uh, Times New Roman. Oh, no. You want it handwritten in script. Okay. Signed. All right. So, 
Apparently, Jim Bay has been uh, listening to our show, Mike. And As he, he should. An apology from you, so uh, you might want to work on that. Nah, nah, he's still lucky to be there, but I digress. True hater. I mean, Mike <laughs> is such a fanboy of North Carolina, he's not going to even give the, the great Jim Beheim an apology, a handwritten apology that he owes him. For, for I remember saying, hearing that he didn't belong. His team didn't belong in the tournament. Now they're in the Final Four against... You're North Carolina Tar Heels, and I bet you you're sweating bullets over there. No, I'm not, I'm not even sweating an ounce because they're going to go down so hard, it's not even going to be funny. We're going to just, you know, it's just it's going to be ugly. And, you know, again, Jim, you've done a fantastic job. I feel I have motivated you, in a sense, uh, to get to the Final Four, but that's it. It's over. You're, you're not winning. You're not beating the most fundamentally sound, full team of, of NBA-ready prospects oh, since the days of Tyler Hansbrough. All right. Stop it. Where's Tyler Hansborough right now? Uh, rest in peace. Uh, I believe he... <laughs> I don't know. He plays somewhere, right? Um, Toronto. Toronto, was it? I heard. That's not heard. He was running from running our test. That's not heard. Hey, you know what? You got to do what you got to do when you're uh, when you're just, you know, you're out of luck. And, you know, people finally realize that you uh just not that good, I guess. I don't sure. know. Sure. Sure. So I'm guessing, Mike, you had the North Carolina Tar Heels facing who in the championship? I Well... Now I have them playing Mr. Buddy Heel and the Oklahoma Sooners because it seems that everybody and their mother is on the Buddy Heel train. And, you know, rightfully so. This guy is fantastic. He should, hands down, regardless of if they win the Final Four, they win it all, or they get knocked out, he should be the tournament MVP. He's been fantastic. I mean, look at Kobe Bryant. That's his new best friend. I mean, Kobe Bryant was over there schmoozing with Buddy Heel and. My first thought is, first of all, Buddy Hill is not going to the Lakers. They don't need another guy in the backcourt. They have uh, D'Lo, Snitch, Russell, and they have, uh, you know, Clarkson there already. So it's not like they need another shooting guard there. So Buddy Hill is not going to the Lakers. But it's pretty cool to see Kobe there showing support to Buddy Hill. He's having a great tournament, obviously. He's driving his team, hopefully, to the championship game. I actually have Oklahoma and North Carolina playing, even though I kind of inside hope that Syracuse pulls another upset. I'm, I find it hard that I'm agreeing with Melo on this. Obviously, he's a Syracuse alum, but I'm with him on this. I hope Syracuse can pull the, pull the upset. But if I'm a betting man, I got to go with North Carolina. Roy Williams and that crew, they're, they're primer and they're ready. So they should be in the finals. I had them actually in the finals. I wish Kansas would have met them. Obviously, that didn't happen. But um, Oklahoma will be there to beat North Carolina and hopefully knock them off so I don't have to hear Mike cheer about his team and be a fanboy for for an hour on our podcast well it's probably going to happen and just for anybody that was wondering uh, according to the espn tournament challenge that we have oh gosh mo and his picks 69 percent 69 percent putting him sadly in second place but your boy mike c mike cizo mike calendrillo is at what is it, Mo? Do you want to tell it, or, or should I? I ask a question. What does Cizo mean? Uh, ask. It's actually just a nickname that one of my buddies gave me. He was kind of like a uh, white rapper slash uh, uh, surfer guy in California, and he just was like, yo, Mike Cizo, and it just stuck. I mean, it was just... <laughs> okay, so I just wanted you to explain that. But, but back... Remember, like I was saying, uh, Buddy Hill, great star. That's how I flipped the conversation. Yeah, oh, but, but real quick, 86%. I have 86% right. That puts me in, like, the top million, which is not saying a lot, but in the world, I am in the top million, where Mo is somewhere like 5 million. So, um... You're welcome, America. I know what I'm talking about. Mo, continue on, please. Uh, I put this on Kansas, and I put this on Isaiah Whitehead. Both guys let me down. Arizona, too. 
this swifty head coach with the shirt. Uh, let me know. <laughs> uh, you guys really need to pick it up. I lost a lot of faith in you guys. Yeah. Uh, looked smart in the beginning. Not so smart now. I have actually had, still have two teams right in the final four. I had North Carolina making it. I had Oklahoma making it. So that makes me semi-smart. We'll mm-hmm. see what happens with Mike's team, North uh, Carolina, if they actually win. So well, hold your horses on that one with the percentages. Well, they're, they're going to win. But like I said, the best player has been Buddy Heald. I mean, he's averaging 25 points for the season. He, he's been fantastic. Now, again, should this guy be a top five pick? I don't know. It's really hard to say because again, I think he's he needs to be in the right then he needs to be in the right system, okay? And he's he's a senior. So you got to worry, you know, has this guy hit his ceiling? Maybe not. He's only 22, but it's just again, he's 22. That's the thing. He's not like one of these kids that's a freshman coming out at 19. You know, he's developed. He's played four seasons. Yeah, he scored 37 points the other day against Oregon. He's it seems like he's getting better hitting eight three-pointers, but I just I don't know. I mean, obviously, Kobe loves him. Kobe, he, you know, and he loves Kobe. He said, I'm a Kobe freak. He says, I have a serious man crush on Kobe. Vanessa Bryant, watch your back. So, you know, again, there's, there's a lot of love going on. But like you said, no way should the Lakers even think about him. Think about him. Now, on to more relative topic, my North Carolina Tar Heels. I mean, this was a team that... Everyone said coming into the tournament, it has to be worried because they don't hit the three-pointer. Well, they're hitting the three-pointer now, and they're clamping down on defense. I mean, this is a team from, honestly, and I'm not just saying it, but if you watch the games, up and down, they're just they're playing their butts off. I mean, even guys like Kennedy Meeks, who usually doesn't play more than 15 minutes a game, is averaging 20 minutes per game now. I mean, Justin Jackson, number 44, he's been, I mean, a lights-out shooter. He's smart, super good IQ. His mid-range game is there, and I really feel like he's going to be used in the middle of the, the Syracuse zone that, you know, I'll give... I'll give Mo and Beheim some, some credit there. The zone has been really good to kind of throw teams mm-hmm. off. And, you know, but again, not not against Carolina. And, and you know, the way that they, they put out the people to kind of work around the zone, you put a guy like Jackson in because he's smart. He's going to make the right pass. And, again, this is a guy that's only a junior, so let's hope that he comes back because Roy Williams knows how to use it. He knows how to get the most out of these guys. And even Joel Berry, Joel Berry, who might be the same height as Mo, I don't know, but – Look, he had a really disappointing freshman year, but he came back, man, and he's hitting shot after shot. He's been the most consistent performer on the Tar Heels. I mean, he really has. He's been a steadying presence that we've needed because he can slash, he can shoot, and he gives solid, solid defense. So, honestly, I'm you got to be super impressed. The pack, the backcourt's been been great. We know about Marcus Page. Uh, you know, we know about all the guys that that should be obviously Bryce Johnson, All American. But it's these guys like like Barry and Jackson and Meeks that. Are, are what teams need. These secondary role guys are what they need to get them to the Final Four and, like I think, to the championship. Can we possibly talk about the better guy in this game, Michael Benaje, who's a guard slash forward for the team, averaging 17.6 points, 4.4 4 assists, 2.5 points, 1.9 steals a game. Now, he needs to work on his free throws, but I think he'll he'll have a lot to say in this game, and he'll, he'll play pretty well against North Carolina. And it's, it'll be a crime just to not mention him. He transferred from Duke, renewed his, his, his NCAA career with Syracuse under Bayheim, and now he's in the Final Four and he's playing against one of Duke's rivals, North Carolina. So that's an interesting type of storyline, and I think he's a person to follow, especially if Syracuse can pull up the upset on North Carolina. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's pretty cool. I mean, again, but this is a guy that you 
you sh- maybe shouldn't get to see because Syracuse shouldn't have been in the tournament, but we're not going to – I digress. Again, it's cool because a guy was given – he was given a platform to kind of succeed, and look what he's doing. You know, he is. He's 17.6 points a game. Pretty good. I mean, again, he does need to work on, you know, kind of rounding out his game. But a guy like that, a guy like Josh Hart with Villanova, I mean, he's the best player for Villanova on both sides of the ball. Only six foot five. I got a little bit of problem with my guards, only six five, and he's a lead guard, but he attacks. You know, he can he can handle the ball. He's got strength, just like Buddy Healed, even though they're they're smaller, compact, and they just they bull you over. Uh, you know, I like that he's, you know, he's a solid shooter. You know, the latter part of the season, he finishes well. You know, Cart is very similar in Buddy Heald, not only size-wise, but what their games kind of uh, represent to this school. But, you know, again, Buddy Heald, I mean, wow, man. He's got 29.3 points per game in the NCAA tournament. So to go up from 25 a game in a season, like, man, I mean, just, just fantastic. And, you know, not saying that I that I think Oklahoma can 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 you know win the next two games, but this is this just reminds me of uh, what was it 2006 we talked about when Carolina played you know the Darren Williams led Illinois team. It's that kind of feel where you know this guy is kind of carrying his club to a certain extent, but it might just it might not be enough because again those I really feel those role players around him are what is going to kind of put them over the top. Well, you know, you spoke about Buddy Heald, and a lot of people are falling in love with him because Oklahoma is in the tournament. They made it to the Final Four. See, he's over, not overexposed, but he's been exposed, and people get to look at his game and say, wow, he's doing great. But you got to understand the track record of great players in the tournament often don't turn to be the greatest NBA stars, like superstars. Like, what was the last NCAA tournament star that you know went to the NBA and had a, like, a great career. And you can name Kemba Walker. Kemba Walker is doing pretty well with the Charlotte Hornets. But what happened to Shabazz in that year? I mean, wasn't he last year's darling or the darling of a few years ago? And now he's just like a second or third point guard on the Magic bench. It's it's not, it's not a given that a breakout star in the NCAA tournament will turn into an NBA star. But Buddy Hill has some qualities that I do like. As you mentioned, he does score a ton of points. He's a great shooter. He has the quick release, which I think is very important on the NBA level. But which team do you think is the best fit for him? I'm going to ask you, but before you give your point, I'm going to say the Bucks and the T-Wolves, great fits for him. The Bucks, we'll talk about later. Giannis possibly moving his spot. He can fit into the Bucks lineup and be a shooter. He can go to the T-Wolves and be on the wings with Wiggins. Wiggins plays a small forward position. And he'll be with Towns and Rubio as a creator at the point guard position. And how could you forget KG coaching up the young guys there? So he'll have a good uh, player coach on the bench with him to kind of develop his game. Yeah, I, I actually like. Uh, I don't know how I feel about the the Milwaukee Bucks situation because they're it's kind of crowded, and then I feel that you know we'll talk like you said we'll talk about the uh, Greek freak, but I just kind of think that they're mixing and matching, and I, I don't really. I don't. I don't. I don't really get the direction of that team. You know, talking about trading Monroe earlier, and you got Jabari Parker, and what about Michael Carter Williams? And I. I just. I don't like that. But I do. I do like the whole Minnesota angle. I think that would be. Uh, you know, again, depending on what they do at Rubio, there's a lot of talk they might move him. Uh, so that kind of that point guard situation is kind of in flux. And you know, Rubio's been around a long time. So that's. Uh, that I mean, wasn't he with the Johnny Flynn draft? Wasn't that that long ago? 
great. I mean, that yeah, was that was a, was, was that the Steph Curry? Yeah, that was the Steph Curry, draft. Steph Curry draft. So he's been around a long time. And he's just hasn't gotten much better. Now, I, you know, Andrew Wiggins, real deal. Obviously, Towns is the real deal. Uh, so that would be good. I like him there. Uh, according to the, the the good folks at DraftExpress.com, it seems Buddy Heald goes up and down every week. We said a couple weeks ago he was uh, he was at the Magic. Now looking at it, they've got him at seven to Denver, which. We've talked about Denver, and I just feel like that's a place where you go to, you know, bury yourself in the in the snow because that's just a team that ruins careers. Uh, obviously, that is the Knicks pick, so thank you for that trade many, many years ago as well. Uh, but, I, yeah, I don't really like him there. I mean, maybe, maybe with the rooster, uh, Danilo Gallinari, they could get something going. Uh, just looking at, at teams that could be in the top, you know, top 10, uh, maybe Boston. I mean, they, how many picks do they have this year? It seems like, you know, four, three, four. Yeah, so he would be – I mean, if he goes to Boston and you put him with what you've got because they're more than likely going to lose Evan Turner. I just hope it's not to the Knicks. Um, yeah. He could be really nice at Boston. God forbid he goes to Phoenix because that's another team that likes to ruin careers. So um, – but honestly – I think the best the best place for him to go and you know you slap me for saying this is Philly because this is another team. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cuz there's another team that's got like three picks, okay? Now if you come back and like the good people at draftexpress.com have Brandon Ingram going one. That's right. You take Brandon Ingram one and you come back and I'm looking to see when and if their pick might be somewhere around like 15. If I don't think he'll be there then, but if you package your two other first round picks and you move up and you grab Buddy Healed around six, seven, and you put him with Ingram and you put him with the the three tall guys who you know may or may not be with the team. We'll talk about that later. Uh, that's the start of something. Now you've got Ingram who can score, Buddy Healed who can score, and you got three guys that can play defense. Well, two guys that can play defense, and you know, obviously. Wait, wait a minute. What? Wait, wait. There's a problem here. Why? Why would you want? Why would you want Brendan Ingram and then Buddy Hill, two shooters, neither of them could play a lick of defense at this stage in their career. No, Buddy Hill. No offense, but Buddy Hill can play defense. They, they cannot. No, they're not defenders on the wings. You, you're gonna be going up against wings like Paul George and maybe Jimmy Butler, and you're gonna have two rookie guys on the wings. Who can barely play defense? You got two shooters. It has to be one or the other. They're both pure shooting guards to me in the league. I, I don't like to attach players to certain positions. Shooting guard, point guard, small forward, power forward, center. Like I said in a podcast ago, but you're gonna have two guys who essentially do the same thing, and that shoot the ball well, very well. I'll give them that. But I would, I would prefer a defensive guy who can play some defense, like Michael Benaje. I would like him on the wings. He at least he can play. I okay. I'll say this. Brandon Ingram could play some defense, but it's not yeah. it's not enough for me to feel comfortable with him guarding Paul George or Jimmy Butler. I think Benaje is a way better defender than both of those guys. He's not going to go as high as them, of course, but I think he's a better complement if you're going to have a shooter. You want to have a defender. You see that in a lot in the league with shooting guard, small forward, three, four positions. Usually it's a it's a mix and match between a pure scorer and a defender or a two-way player. Yeah, you're on this Benaje train. This is going to be like, you know, this is we're not going to hear the end of this until uh, July it seems. Uh, I mean, I'm looking I'm looking at what they have up here for Draft Express cuz it's been early, you know, we got to have to do a lot of research and Michael Benaje is not even listed to be drafted in the first or second round. So, I think you're on the Benaje train a little early here because yeah, he's having a, a good tournament, but but like you said, it doesn't necessarily translate to guys that are going to do anything come 
you know, come pro time. I mean, they've got Bryce Johnson, who was a first-team All-American, averaging 17 points and 10 boards a uh, yeah, game, going 33rd. So I, I just, I don't know. I think you might want to pump the brakes on the Benaje talk. Otherwise, you should definitely become his agent because you're selling him hard. Well, he can sign some more money with buckets. We we need more people. We got Joe Johnson. Oh. We got guys. We got Alex Rodriguez uh-huh. signing on last week. We welcomed him to the red carpet. So uh, we're, we're taking in more people. But I will say this. You talked about him not being on draft boards. I mean, where was Draymond Green? He was, I think, I believe the last or near last pick. I mean, where was Kawhi Leonard? These, I mean, Kawhi Leonard was mid-first round. But these guys weren't highly heralded out of college coming in. And I believe that as Syracuse, if they can upset North Carolina and people start paying attention to Benaje, I think he can surge up draft boards and at least get a, you know, a mid-second round, a top second round pick. And a team will be delightfully surprised to get him. Trust me on that. <laughs> delightfully surprised. That's exactly what I want to be touted as to the NBA brass. I'm a delightful surprise. Yes, because you know what? There are a lot of surprises that sneak into the NBA. I mean, you see it a lot of times. Players aren't highly scouted. Oh, I was under That puts a chip in your shoulder. If your team's overlooking you, your scouts are overlooking you, now you have to kind of prove yourself. And I believe on this stage, on the Final Four stage, he can really make a name for himself. Again, his numbers are pretty good. He's a four, he's a four-year player. He, he was at Duke, transferred over. Again, renewed his NCAA career, and he's made a difference in Syracuse. So you got to give it to him. A lot of people say NCAA basketball is a coach's sport, but you got to give some credit to the players as well. Yeah, I mean, fine. I mean, whatever. That's cool. If that's what you really feel, then you know what? You just you just hate everything North Carolina and ACC-related, so you're just picking up a guy that used to be Isaiah Whitehead. Now it's Michael Benaje. You know, next week it'll be somebody else. So you know what, Mo? <laughs> just toot your horn over there, and you know, we'll just let you be. All right? So, so let's say this. Let's say that if Syracuse does win, do you and – but Najee does have a good game. Do you see him getting on draft boards at all? Do you see him cracking? Yeah. The top? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Because if it, because if they if you think they're going to be North Carolina, he ha- has to have the game of his life, and I'm you know he has to score twenty five points. He's it's just. I just don't you see. Do it. I just no. I just don't see it happening. I just don't. But okay, all right. If Michael Benaje goes off and you know has a Buddy Heald type of game, maybe. But you know what? Time will tell. Tune in this Saturday. You'll find out when uh, North Carolina steamrolls the Syracuse Orange. Thank you very much. It's very hard talking to a North Carolina Tar Heel fanboy. It really is. It really is. Getting through to Mike, as you can tell, guys, it's very hard getting through Mike when it comes to North Carolina Tar Heels. But eventually, he will learn his lesson. Exactly. No, I will. I will. When When we are cutting down the nets in Houston as the number one team in the nation, and you can finally say, I'm tired of drinking the Haterade because that is all you have done this entire tournament but i give you respect for staying consistent i really really do hey mike one second one second what's that behind you, you wanted a page long handwritten yeah. behind said mm. he wanted a page long. all right make sure to tell him to hold his breath for it it'll be coming soon <laughs> but mike is such a hater it's such a hater no i'm not a hater i just keep it real and i'm a real tar heel that's what it is but uh, enough with that we've got so much more coming to you in episode seven this is the uh, episode seven my favorite number this is gonna be uh episode i don't know i don't know i don't know but anyway we're gonna take a break we're gonna come right back with uh the topic of the entire nba season it's probably bigger than lebron and steph curry combined and yes we are talking about d'angelo russell Nicki minaj uh iggy azalea and uh 
Nick Young, his mama, everybody else in LA going buck wild. We'll be right back. This is Mike and Mo. Stay locked. Open mic. All right, so unless you've been living in a foreign country, and even then you might have heard by now, you probably are kind of on the, uh, uh, trying to figure out what exactly the heck is going on in La La Land. And no, we're not talking about the Clippers anymore. We're back to talking about the purple and gold, the Lakers. Uh, new information came out today, and yes, we are talking about the Angelo Russell I guess he thought he was playing a prank on his boy, Nick Young, who, yes, is also still in the NBA, uh, was playing a prank and asking him things that he probably shouldn't have asked him, but, you know, uh, ladies that he was uh, possibly having some, you know, some trysts, some behind-the-scenes, you know, adventures. Yeah, action, if you want to call it action. uh, With, even though he is still, or was, engaged to um, Australian uh, rapper, rapper, um, question rapper. mark. Yeah, Russian. Um, uh, Iggy Azalea. Uh, she's been she's been MIA for a minute, but that's probably for a, a good reason. Um, so w- new info came out today, and here's what I've come to understand. Um, basically, this was this was all a misunderstanding. Uh, to quote to quote D'Angelo, but um, the the singer, not the basketball player. Uh, but anyway, he took he took this video. He was gonna use it as a prank on on his boy Nick Young. What had happened was, and if you've ever used um, Snapchat, I know Mo, you don't you don't know what Snapchat is, so that's okay. Nope. nope, it's okay. It's okay. Nope. Um, basically you have to you take a video or a photo and you have to add it to my story. And my story kind of accumulates all these different videos and stories and it puts them on kind of once. But um, he didn't know that I guess he hit a button and it went on my story. He didn't plan on doing this. But he did. And it was just laying there for like a day or so. And I guess he's friends with the people with Nicki Minaj and blah, blah, blah. It's L.A. We get it. So the people at Nicki Minaj's camp went and they actually found this video. And why this came out is because Nicki and Iggy are having... Nicki Nikki and Iggy? Yeah, Nicki and Iggy are having a beef. <laughs> Say, I'm rapping now. I don't even know it. They're having a beef because Iggy came out and she was like, yo... No people, do you talking about? No, I can't do the accent anyway. Anyway, she was, <laughs> she she says that um, uh, Nicki Minaj doesn't write her own raps, which you know that's a pretty that's a pretty big bold statement. You know, if if, if you're just kind of shooting off at the mouth, you know, if, when when you're in a rap game such as myself, you can't be saying these things. You gotta you gotta keep it real. But she said this. So now Nicki Minaj's people found the Snapchat and they said, oh, no, you didn't. So they blasted it out. They sent it to a website called Famous. When I read that, I was like, how do you say that word? Famous. Um, and these people ran with it. And this is how it spiraled to the point of no return for my man, D'Angelo. Mo, take it away. Uh, well, okay. This is how I'll start this off. Uh, okay. In the urban community, the worst thing you could be known as is a snitch or a rat. And if you saw uh, a clever meme, they called D'Angelo Russell the point rat snitch card, slash, slash. Uh, yes, he made a mistake. D'Angelo Russell made a huge mistake. He basically, what they'll say is he broke bro code. But to me, is you don't you don't take any human being talking without their consent. So that's just, that's just, to me, is common sense. Not just, this is beyond bro code. This is, this is common ground. You don't tape anyone without their consent. I remember a teacher in high school was taped, a student taped him and he went ballistic. So from then on, I knew you shouldn't be taping anyone or recording anyone without asking. Okay. But back to Russell, he's 20 years old. He just turned 20, maybe a month and a half, a month ago. His birthday was in February. 
he made a mistake. The guy's young. We do stupid things at a young age. Think back, you know, seven, eight years, Mike. You had to think back maybe 20. When you were 19, you, I mean, think about it. You, you son did, of a... <laughs> you did a lot of crazy things. I'll think back to when I was 19 about 10 years ago. Yeah, I did a lot right. of silly things, too. Things that I won't talk about, obviously, to incriminate myself, but not as bad as D'Angelo Russell. Let's get that straight. Mm-hmm. But um, he, made, he made a huge mistake. The second thing is, I'll say, is these social media outlets that we often use, sometimes even the young kids don't know how to use them. Apparently, D'Angelo Russell didn't know how to use Snapchat very well. I don't blame him because, as you said, I am not on Snapchat, and I'm glad I'm not on it. But he, he obviously didn't feel around with the settings and be able to use the, the, the app very well. And he even said it. He said he doesn't know how the video got out. Now, you just said, as you reported or just said on on this podcast, that Nicki Minaj's camp got to it and they saw it was a public story. It was a public video. They got it and they sent it out and that's how it spread. Now, again, that's D'Angelo's fault. He made a mistake, but let's not bury him because there were reports saying, do the Lakers have to trade him now? And I, I believe that's totally absurd. You don't trade a kid for that. If you don't want to talk to him, fine. If you don't want him to be your friend, Fine. You don't want to bring him to your wedding, your dinner, your Thanksgiving, whatever, your party, your birthday party. Fine. You don't have to be his best friend. You don't have to put your arm around him and make him your best buddy. You don't have to trust him. But it is still a workplace. It's just like if you have a falling out at your job. I know the NBA locker room is different than any normal job in America. I get that. But you still have a job to do. You have a goal. You have, you have Your goal is to win an NBA championship, not to make the most friends. Nick Young, on to him. He's not the victim in this whole situation. People are painting him to be this, oh, Nick Young is the victim. How could you do this to Nick Young? Yes, I get it. He shouldn't have recorded Nick Young. Russell is wrong. I said that at the beginning. The urban, the urban mentality is no snitching. Even if the guy you know is doing something bad, you don't snitch on him. Right? I get it. So, Nick Young is out here cheating on his fiance. Now, Mike, I know you have a fiance. I, I have person that I'm with. I mean, you don't you don't cheat on the person you supposedly are involved with and, and if it gets out, it's on you. Because he he went out of his way, Nick Young goes out of his way to trust this kid that he's known for less than a year. I mean Jan Daniel Russell just got on the team. Again, I get it, they travel on the road together. It's a brotherhood. They trust each other. They're supposed to have this innate trust. But let's be real here, since we're talking about being real all NBA players in these locker rooms aren't the best of buddies. We talk about family and sports. We always talk about, oh, it's a family, it's a brotherhood, it's a fraternity. But, okay, take these guys outside of the locker room, off the court. Are they partying with each other every day? Does everyone like each other? You know, it's not really – it's it's a family of certain parts. Maybe certain players are close to each other. But not everyone is as close as glue. Like, it's not like that. And I, I haven't been in the NBA locker room, but I assume by reading and just hearing players talk that – Every player is not close to every other player on that team. So Nick Young has to understand that he shouldn't be talking about his sexual escapades if he's engaged to be married with a kid who's 19, who's obviously immature, that he's just known for maybe 10 months. Sure. So that's, that's, Nick, that's Nick Young's bad. The second thing Nick Young messed up on was if, if he's in the room and he found out, of course, he didn't know he was being reported. But after D'Angelo Russell, I guess, divulged that he was being recorded, he was like, what? What are you doing? He should have been there to say, okay, you need to delete that video and delete it right now. And I need to see you delete it. Yeah. Basically, like, get rid of it, destroy it. You know my situation. I don't want that getting out. 
So, I mean, it's common sense. Both of them, to me, are just immature. Nick Young, by the way, is like 30. Nick Young is like my age. He's immature. D'Angelo Russell is, is 20 and immature. So this is a, there's a 10-year difference, and they're both on the same wavelength. I mean, let's be serious. One guy is a grown man. He should, he should know better. And I say this as an analogy. Me and Mike, if, if we're on a road, let's say I'm on the road with you, Mike, and we're talking. Obviously, we're not talking about the things Nick Young may talk about. But we talk about things that we say, okay, obviously, it's, it's, it's unspoken truth to keep that between us. Obviously, D'Angelo Russell broke that trust. But you got to understand who you're talking to. Do you trust this person? Do you really trust this person? Yes, he is your teammate. But again, how long have you known this guy? Sure. We do it all the time where we decipher, okay, I can't tell this information to a certain person. Maybe I can't tell this to a certain person. But we all have to have that, that inside knowledge of maybe I shouldn't go as far as to talk about this or that. And I, I understand and guys talk about their sexual es- escapades all the time. I mean, growing up as a kid, you hear at teenage years, you hear guys talk about, oh, I was with such and such, or we did this, we did that. And that happens at the start of early age. You're a grown man. And you're and you're invested in a person, and a person's invested in you. You're destined to be married. I mean, I'm not a more, I'm not the moralist, please. But if you're gonna do dirt, you better make sure that who you're telling you can trust because that can easily get out. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and it's funny because I look at it from you know the the organizational standpoint, and I think there's it, it starts at the top. You have to blame Mitch Kupchak, Jeannie Buss and Byron Scott. And you blame Mitch Kupchak and Jeannie Buss because it was more important for them to have the Kobe Bryant going away party all season long, even though he, you know, was one for 11 the other night and, you know, that's okay. It was more important to to bring him around and give him gifts than it was to surround uh, a young man who you spent the second overall pick with uh, with wise veterans. Kobe has never been a man who's uh, especially a type of guy that wants to groom younger people that are going to take over, okay? You surrounded him with Brandon Bass, and you surrounded him with, with uh, obviously, Nick Young. So you're surrounding him with guys that are not much much more mature than him, are, are barely any older than him, and what do you expect? He's 20. So when Byron Scott decided that uh, you know how he wanted to, uh, I guess, bring D'Angelo Russell along. He's only he's only started forty games out of the seventy three they've played, and he was benched. He was in, and he started saying all these negative things about D'Angelo. What he should have done has been fired. Byron Russell, this is not a very good coach. I'm sorry to say, yes, he got to the finals with the Nets. Uh, they had Kenyon Martin at his prime. They had uh, Richard Jefferson at his prime, and they had Jason Kidd in his prime. Okay, you could have coached that team. So to say that. Byron Russell is a good coach. Wow. Uh, how did he do with Cleveland? Okay, this is not a good coach. This is not a good a guy who can necessarily groom a team of young men who are very immature. And that's, that's sad to say, but they are. I mean, look at the look at the organization from the top to the bottom. Uh, it's, a, it's a club that's trying to find themselves. They're trying to redefine themselves. And it's going in so many horrible directions uh, that... Yes, this was going to happen, but to let this define you as, as from here on out is not the right way. You need to fire Russell. You need to clean out everybody that isn't named either Julius Randle, and maybe he could go too, or Jordan Clarkson, and you have to keep D'Angelo Russell because how you could trade even, even entertain the idea of trading the number two pick in last year, last year's draft, not two years ago, how you can trade the number two pick in last year's draft when he still is scoring 13 points a game 
um, is ridiculous, especially when he's been mishandled. Yes, he's immature. He's 20. And this goes back to my point last week, Mo. There needs to be more emphasis on staying in school, okay? He's 20 years old. Uh, you can still do d- dumb things when you're 30, but it's not expected. I expect a 20-year-old man with a whole crap load of money and instant fame living in the city of Los Angeles, uh, ha, hello, th- he's going to do dumb things. And when you're surrounded by stupid people, to say it kindly, and le- wasn't it last week that uh, there was three men in a car that played for the Lakers, and they were so-called sexually harassing a females in another car? So... Th- yeah, this is rampant, okay? This is a problem with the organization. If you don't want to fire Mitch Kupchak, uh, and obviously Jeannie Buss is not going to give up the team to her brother, you need to fire the coach, and you need to get rid of everybody that you can. And I know most of these guys were on one-year deals, expiring contracts, Get, as soon as that, that last, that 82nd game is over, man, I'm releasing everybody. And enough with Kobe. He's one for 11. He had one three-pointer the other night. It's, it's over, okay? It, it, he's not going out a hero. He's obviously pissed off, but you're still touting him in a season where, dude, it's, it's over with. You got your money. Please go home. You have to restart. And the Lakers are, it's, it's a laughing stock. Who would want, who would want to go with, to them? That's a big-time free agent right now. I, I, I mean, this was a once- great franchise i mean it's really it's a shame how it's devolved you know obviously they can come back they've got a lot of money that they will have in salary cap but they they've got to turn it around fast and you know trading a guy like d'angelo is not not the answer because he's one of the small building blocks that you have but man if you're the lakers organization you got to take a real deep look inside yourself and say we let this happen i mean look at the people that you went out and signed come on really you expected anything better i'm surprised this didn't happen you know three months ago I mean, you're right about that, and the Lakers have to look at what they put together as far as support system for their young guard. I mean, look at what the Minnesota Timberwolves did. They brought in Tayshaun Prince and KG. Why? Not because they could score 15 points a game and play great defense, because they want they wanted to keep some good people around their young people to help them develop. Currently, Towns and Wiggins. You got two young potential superstars there, so you want to have them in a, in, a, in a good environment where they can develop on the court and off the court as professionals. Look at what the Celtics did. They brought in Brad Stevens, who was a college coach for, for Butler. And he, he obviously takes takes good to coaching young guys. Byron Scott is not that type of guy that's going to take the time to teach babies how to play ball. As you said, when he, when he won big with the Nets, he had some grizzled veterans who knew what they were doing. These weren't some young kids on the court like the Lakers have. Byron Scott is not the guy to, to, to develop Russell, Randall, and those guys are that team. He's basically there as Kobe Bryant's butler. He's there to make Kobe Bryant feel good about his farewell tour, his last year in L.A. That's all he's there for. But he's ruining the young talent, and I believe that it goes for, obviously goes further than him with who the GM brought in. I mean, think about it. Roy Hibbert, is he really a guy, a veteran to guide your young talent? Not the guy you want. I like you, Ron Test, but he's not the guy I want around my young talent. Not Ron Test. Nick Young, he's been... I don't know on how many teams he came from the Wash came from uh, Washington, I believe, and the guy hasn't won anything anywhere. He's not a proven veteran. I mean, he's he's a veteran by years, but as far as what he's done on the court, he hasn't done much. And again, I'm not saying this is all Nick Young's fault, but I'm not saying this is all D'Angelo Russell's fault. What I'm saying is basically D'Angelo Russell, you know, he he needs to know better. No, you're you're absolutely right, and it's funny because you know I heard something on TV there saying, "Oh, it can't get much worse." Well. There was a report that said the Lakers intend to target Hassan Whiteside, who plays for the Heat. Um, 
has anybody ever seen or heard from this guy what he does not only on the court when it comes to technical flagrant flagrant fouls but what he's getting in getting himself involved in off the court i mean this is another knucklehead okay i know he's a seven footer super athletic can score can play great great defense but this is not the guy that you want to team up with D'Angelo Russell. I mean, literally, the guy came out, and I'm talking about Whiteside, and said, I feel like Madison Square Garden and the Staples Center are like the two biggest places to play. I feel like those places are just special just because there are so many celebrities and everybody is there. What? I mean... What? <laughs> Whiteside, like you said, is a knucklehead. It's, it's the reason why I didn't like Rajon Rondo. I mean, you like him. Last week we talked about Rajon Rondo to the Knicks. I, again, I don't. I just don't want any knuckleheads on my team. If you're a headache, you have to be super talented. I mean, you have to be DeMarcus Cousins level, and we have to be able to manage you on and off. Not off the court, maybe we'll be able to handle what you bring to the table as far as negatives and positives. Whiteside is, I mean, he is a good talent, but to bring him into L.A., I will be a little wary of that, especially of how he's going to feel about the Angela Russell situation because a lot of players have come out on social media and said, I don't think I can talk to this guy. I don't think I can work with this guy. Whiteside, to my knowledge, hasn't said anything yet. But I want a guy who's going to come in and say, look, I'm going to come here and start off on a fresh, fresh slate, not a knucklehead, and work with everyone, not just everyone not named Angela Russell, but everyone, including Russell, in the locker room. Because you mentioned it, Russell is the future for the Lakers, whether you like it or not. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's uh, I think it unfortunately it can get worse. Uh, you know, uh, again, will it get better? It can. It can. It can go either way real quick and and get a lot better. But again, the people in charge making the moves need to make the right moves, and they need to make them as soon as this season ends. Otherwise, there's a lot. There's a long off season, and a lot of things can go wrong. But let's talk about another team where it seems like things are spiraling out of control. The Chicago Bulls. Uh, this is another once great organization, a team that. For all intents and purposes, missed its championship window with the Derrick Roses and the Jimmy Butlers and the Taj Gibsons, and I can go on and on and on. And all of a sudden, they now too have seem to have lost faith in their coach, Fred Hoiberg, who's only been there now, what is it, a season? Season and a half? That he came from Iowa State, used to play for the Bulls, everybody loves him. Well, it comes out now that some of the team says, and publicly, that they've lost their faith in them, i.e. Jimmy Butler, Todd Gibson. But again, these are the same people that lost faith and ran Tom Thibodeau, who was Hoiberg's predecessor, out of town as well. So what's, what is the problem, and, and does, this, does this kind of the reason why it looks like the Bulls are going to pretty much blow this thing up and start over because we know that Noah's a free agent and he's pretty much done? And now the, the huge thing, especially here in Orlando, is that everybody's got Jimmy Butler coming to, to be part of the Magic. So, you know, Mo, t- tell me a little bit, I mean, does it make sense that the Bulls are doing this, and is it, is it a realistic option for Jimmy Butler to, to go anywhere when it, it seems like he's the one guy that Bulls would actually want to, uh, you know, build off of? Well, we, we talked about NBA locker rooms and NBA teams being a family, right? They need Jimmy Butler and, and Fred Hoiberg need to put their arms around each other, talk it out, and patch things up because it doesn't make sense from Chicago's standpoint to trade Jimmy Butler. He's one of the rising stars in this league as a two-way player along with Paul George in the, in the Eastern Conference. You don't trade away your best player because that's not Derrick Rose anymore, obviously. So Butler is your centerpiece. You need to build around him, not trade him unless you're getting something great in return. And reports have him, as you said, going to the Magic or the Celtics. What can those teams really give the Bulls that will equate to Jimmy Butler? So that the Bulls need to patch it up. They need to make up and figure it out. And I, I know where this is coming from. 
Jimmy Butler called out Fred Hoiberg at the beginning of the season, and I quote, he said, I believe that we probably have to be coached a lot harder at times. I'm sorry. I know Fred Hoiberg's a, a laid-back guy, and I really respect him for that. But when, when the guys aren't doing what they're supposed to do, you got to get on them. Guys, get on them, including myself. you got to do what you're supposed to do when you're out there playing basketball. Now, he basically called out Hoiberg for this. Now, my thing is, when, Tim, when Tom Thibodeau left the Bulls, the toughness also left that team. And Butler was probably Thibodeau's best guy because he worked hard, he practiced hard, played hard, played a lot of minutes. And when, when Fred Hoiberg came in, he kind of changed that and wanted the Bulls to be a more free-flowing, open-court, pass-the-ball, shoot-the-rock team. And they're not that type of team. They came from a hard-based you know, squad and, and under Thibodeau. And now he's changing the philosophy. I don't have a problem with changing the philosophy, but he needs to talk that over with his star player, Jimmy Butler, because obviously when Jimmy Butler's calling you out, you have to address that, and they need to address that behind the scenes, patch things up, and keep the Bulls afloat. Again, they're competing for the eighth spot in the playoffs now. I don't know if they make it, but in the offseason, they're going to have to mend a lot of fences. Yeah, and, you know, maybe they mend the fences, but... I just I'm curious as to why the Bulls are even entertaining the idea of trading him. I I mean, what do they do? They love uh, you know Hoiberg that much more? No, I think it's something serious about his knee. Uh, he's missed you know he's missed a chunk of games this year. Yes, he's still averaging 21 points a game, but there's got to be something to it. And look, he's not in that upper echelon of superstars. He's not with the Steph Curry's of the world, the LeBrons, the Kawhi Leonard's, the Damian Lillard's. Those he's he's there. He's he's at the two. He's you know he's he's at the second tier. He's the Chris Pauls. He's he's with those type of guys. Uh, can you build around him? Sure, if he's healthy. But if you're the Bulls, for whatever the reason, Tom Thibodeau worked these guys down to the bone. I mean, he is the Nick Saban of the NBA. I mean, Derrick Rose has no knees, has no ankles. Uh, Joe Kim Noah is is a shell of his former self. And obviously now Jimmy Butler's got knee problems. So again, I don't know how much the Bulls really can honestly think they're going to get from Jimmy. Yes, he's young enough. He's been in the league a little while. You know, again, he, was, he went to Marquette. Marquette hasn't been good for a long time since he left. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk. Obviously, he would be welcome addition to the Magic because the Magic need a guy every game that's going to go out and score 20 points. And obviously, if you're the Magic, you pretty much got to offer anybody on the roster not named Aaron Gordon and maybe Mario Hozonia because, again, you just drafted him. So uh, if the Bulls want to make a deal, they can pretty much have their picking, you know, uh, Nick Vukovic, who's, you know, a big-time center. There's not many of them in the NBA. If they really want Oladipo, you can have them. There's plenty of options. The, Bull, uh, the Celtics, on the other hand, have a million drafts draft picks they don't necessarily have as many pieces i don't think you can really get much for jared sullinger you're not going to trade isaiah thomas uh you know so it's it's interesting where he can go i, I think he will be traded i don't think they're going to give up on hoiberg just yet because I, I like i said i think this is a team that missed its window paul gasol if he's smart he gets out of town noah leaves todd gibson's just not that good of a player as he everybody thought he was going to be uh, you know the starting point guard uh, excuse me starting power forward for a very long time so if you if you trade if you trade jimmy you get a lot for him I mean, that's really seems like the most logical, you know, option to me at this point. But uh, it seems like the NBA and logic sometimes run rampant. So who knows? Hey, you know what? They they played under Thibodeau a lot of minutes. A lot of guys are worn down, including Butler and Noah. And even Taj had a lot of had a lot of little nicks and cuts, injuries here and there. 
Pass out the muscle milk. You know what I mean? Pass out the muscle milk and put the guys in the ice tub and let them heal for an offseason and hopefully they all come back at, at a better strength. You know, as you said, they've been a lot of minutes, so maybe a, a season of, or off-season of reset will do them well. But try to keep your best player if, unless you have to trade him, unless he's out there demanding to be traded. You, you know, before that comes out, you want to trade the player before you get nothing. But uh, the Bulls need to figure it out. I think they will, and I think Jimmy Butler stays in Chicago. But on to a team, well, speaking of the Bulls, and a certain team is chasing their franchise 72 and 10 record accomplished in 1995-1996 Jordan's Bulls. The Warriors are 68 and 7 and they're 5 games away from breaking the record. Now, I'm a fan of the Warriors actually breaking the record. There are some Jordan stands out there who go, "No, no, we need to we need to keep Jordan on this pedestal. We need to keep those Bulls on this pedestal. They're special." But you know, I like to be alive to see records broken and it would be cool to see Steph Curry and the Warriors do it. And I'm of the opinion, looking at their schedule, they're home against, they're on a four-game streak at home. They have Boston, Portland, Minnesota, and San Antonio on their court. Then they go away from Memphis and San Antonio, and then they end the season at home against Memphis. I don't know about you, but looking at the schedule, I think they easily make the five games. I think they actually win six games. The only game I see them potentially losing is at San Antonio because San Antonio is also holding a record of most games won on their home court. So... I don't think they win that game, even though Pop is going to rest his guys. But we all know the Spurs are so deep. Even when they do rest certain players, they have enough to win games. Yeah, I think it's awesome. I think this is really cool. I mean, you know, records are meant to be broken, to be, you know, cliche about it. And, again, Jordan is the greatest player of all time. Uh, I'm sure if you ask him, he'll say, oh, yeah, it's fine. I don't want my record broken. But I'm sure deep down it's like those, you know, 1972 Dolphins where every year when somebody is undefeated up until, like, week 13 and then they lose, they all pop champagne. So, you know, again, uh, yeah, it's got to be bittersweet. But, oh, man, it'd be super cool to see this because who knows if we'll ever see this again. And it's funny because... I kind of liken this to it kind of hurts the parity of the NBA. And we've talked about this before when you have two great teams like like the Golden State and like San Antonio, because it makes everybody else look so bad. But again, when are you going to see two teams like this that haven't lost at home? It's like it's like in soccer or football, whatever you want to call it in Europe. And you have Lionel, Lionel Messi and you have Cristiano Ronaldo and you have the two greatest soccer players possibly ever. And they're so good that they make everybody else look you know, inferior, but it's because they're so good and you have to really recognize and step back from the situation and appreciate what you have because we may never have this again. Look, you're probably never going to have two teams and the Western Conference that are undefeated each at home that really both kind of have the opportunity to beat the all-time record. Just like you're never going to have two players in the Spanish La Liga or anywhere in the world playing soccer that can score 50 goals. It just doesn't happen. When somebody's in soccer scores 20 goals, you got to say, ooh, now these guys have been scoring 50 goals for the past five, six, seven years. So take a step back, relish in it. If you're a Bulls fan, I get it. You're, we were all a Michael Jordan fan. If anybody told you they weren't a Michael Jordan fan, they're lying to you, okay? Because even if we were Knicks fans like me and Mo, uh, we still love Michael Jordan, okay? So uh, you know what? Just appreciate it. It's cool. It, it may happen. It probably will. It also may not. So it, it, how would you feel if you're like, you know, it's like, ah, I don't want to see it happen. And then they fall one game short and you're like, oh, I missed out on history because, you know, because of something stupid. Who knows? Maybe maybe they lose one of the games they shouldn't have. It happens. I mean, everybody comes. I mean, didn't they win in overtime last night? They actually won. I don't know if it was in overtime, but I know they won the game and got it done. But um, this takes me back to just. I'm not a I'm not a fan of certain players. I know Mike, you like your North Carolina Tar Heels, and I poke you about that all the time. 
But I think some fans just hold players and things to certain standards, and it's just it's these crazy these crazy standards that people just idolize Jordan. Like, no, we need to keep all his records, all his team records intact. And I'm like, no, I want to be alive to witness history. I want to see it happen. And just a quick note, the Warriors actually played the San Antonio Spurs on April 10th, which is my birthday. Yep. Oh, buckets on that day. <laughs> I'll be turning 30, by the way. Um, <laughs> I'll be joining Mike in the 30s, unfortunately. Yes, but yes. Um, <laughs> they'll play the San Antonio Spurs on the Spurs court, which would be a huge game because, again, the Spurs will be holding their undefeated record on their home court, and the Warriors could potentially be looking to break the record on that same day. So you have two teams with a record game if they win. So that's a that's a huge game on April 10th. I'm going to be home to watch that, definitely. Okay. But overall, I think the Warriors win win that. Well, I don't know if they win that game at San Antonio, but they will break their Bulls record. Sorry, Jordan Stans. It's going to happen. But if you're going to talk about the Warriors, how could you not talk about Luke Walton? Because he stepped in and he helped the Warriors to to this to this grand record. I mean, he he's had he's had a huge part in the Warriors and their winnings. And people say, oh, he shouldn't get credit because the team is is just that good. Yeah, but you still need a skipper. You still need a captain to direct the ship. Now, the thing about the off, his offseason, Luke Walton's, is where should he go coach? If Because obviously he's going to be up for head coaching opportunities once this season is over. But where which team do you think he fits with best? Which team does he fit best, or which team do I need him to go to? Uh, which team does he fit with <laughs> best, and then which team do you want him to go to? Okay. Uh, well, looking at the top candidates for a team, um, and this is if the Bulls obviously keep Fred Hoiberg, which I think they do, and I don't think even if they keep Hoiberg that they're going to be much of a team once they get rid of Jimmy Butler. You really got the Lakers, which we talked about that already. Please. I mean, again, he played for the Lakers. He obviously uh, has a huge relationship with everybody there, but that's a train wreck. So, Luke, if you, if you want to coach for many, many years, stay out of L.A. Uh, you got the Suns, which – Last year were really good. This year they regressed to the point of being, you know, probably the top three picks in, in the draft. So I would, again, we've talked about them. I'd steer clear. Then you got another team, the Rockets. I mean, wow, these are just, these are teams with players that are either not good enough yet or a guy like James Harden, which is a black hole, which, you know, again, who, who do you really want to coach that? And then the Kings. Oh my, look at the list of teams we're naming here. I mean, do you want to coach Boogie Cousins? Do you want to coach Rajon Rondo? Like, good God, no. So honestly, the best option, and call me crazy, is the New York Knicks. And I'm not saying that because everybody and their mother knows I'm a Knicks fan by now. It's because you've got Phil Jackson, who he played under. You've got, I, hopefully, God willing, a decent salary cap space once we cut a couple people and a couple guys don't pick up their player option. You've got Kristaps Porzingis, who will probably come in second in the Rookie of the Year voting, and you still got Carmelo Anthony, Okay. Any of the teams I just named, maybe the Rockets, you've got Harden. Maybe that's intriguing to someone. I, it wouldn't be me I, and the Kings with Boogie. But again, really, you, George, look what, he, look what George Carl's going through. I think the best option is the Knicks because you've got two players. You've got familiarity with Phil Jackson. You've got this, the, the great city of New York. You've got the Madison Square Garden. And, dude, this guy's for real. I mean, forget about the teams for a minute this guy went 39 and 4 and i understand it was with the best team in the nba but you still gotta you gotta call the plays you gotta put the right guys in at the right time i mean if alvin gentry who you know 
coaches, still coaches, coached for a very long time, is now the head coach of the Pelicans, says that this guy is the real deal and should have his pick of the litter, then who are we to say he shouldn't? I just hope it's with the Knicks because he's a smart guy. I mean, that's why he was in the NBA so long, not because he was a great player. I mean, let's be honest. He left his game in Arizona, but he's he's a hell of a he looks like he can be a hell of a coach so i'd give him whatever money we need i mean uh if you gave Derek fisher a four-year 40 million dollar contract to coach what do you got to give this guy i mean you got you got to you got to offer the boat to him he, i could welcome him on some more money more buckets you got another one look thank you hey, i love it you're, you're well aboard once you sign that new contract to be the head coach but uh as we talk about fits for Walton, I mean, as you said it, you just gotta throw the Rockets and the Kings in the trash. Both both organizations just dysfunctional. They don't have the marquee players you'd want to marry with Walton. I mean, you don't want to marry him with a dysfunctional knucklehead at like Boogie Cousins. I I like Boogie Cousins. I'm on record saying I'm a big Boogie Cousins fan, but you just don't want to. You just don't want to have that marriage going. Harden and he just doesn't do it on defense. Poor chemistry in the locker room. Just avoid that. I agree with you on the Knicks with an asterisk if he can just throw away the triangle and just allow Phil to let him install his own offense. Of course, if Phil brings him in, he's probably going to run the triangle because Luke Wall did play for the Lakers and he is familiar with Phil Jackson. So that will probably happen. But I just hope Phil just scraps that whole triangle business. It needs to go. Yeah. Uh, with the Lakers, if he goes to the Lakers, it could be okay depending what the GM moves are for the future. You don't need white side in there. But you're obviously going to have to implement a D'Angelo Russell rule, no cameras in the locker room, um, no, no recording people. Um, if he goes to L.A., they need a reboot. So he, he'll be good for, for that team if the GM is changing his path. Now, I'm going to say this. You're going to call me crazy for this. I think Luke Walton will do well with the Suns. Think about it. They have Devin Booker and Brandon Knight there. That's, so that's a really special backcourt. It could be as special as Golden State's. I'm not saying as good as Golden State's, obviously, because you, you don't get any better than Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson right now as shooters. But Booker and Brandon Knight are a pretty decent backcourt. And if you grab a, a hard-nosed, tough guy, a scrapper, a hustler like Joachim Noah, who's, who's probably going to leave the Bulls, as we spoke about, I think it's a, it's a good nucleus. You have Tyson Chandler there, who's an who's a experienced veteran. He's not a knucklehead. He'll be able to coach these guys up when he's already done with uh, Booker off the court to teach him how to be a professional. You can also go with another shooter or a wing player. You can you can even grab Buddy Hill if, if the Suns are able to get him. I wouldn't mind Buddy Hill there. And then maybe you can move Knight, use him as a trade piece, and get a better distributor as a point guard to accentuate Buddy Hill and Devin Booker's strong points at shooters. So, again, Luke Walton will have his pick of the litter, as we said. I think I think he's a great fit with the Suns. Mike, obviously, I agree with him on this, that he could be a fit with the Knicks. But, again, they have to get rid of that triangle. But we'll see what he does. I Hopefully, he chooses the Knicks because I cannot live with the Knicks having either, what was it, Brian Shaw. I do not oh. want Brian Shaw in New York in Madison Square Garden. So, please, no. So, if Walton doesn't go there, just know Brian Shaw and maybe I'll be fine. But uh, we're going to move on with building momentum. We're going to talk some... We're going to talk about the Greek Freak. I know a lot of people don't talk about the Milwaukee Bucks, but there's an interesting situation that they're doing with the Greek Freak there. Uh, we're going to talk 76ers, unfortunately, and the head-scratching moves. We're going to talk about sore losers and LeBron as a head coach. So we'll be right back. It's now time for Building Momentum. Well, if you're a loyal listener to the Mike and Mo show, you know that my man Mo Money loves him some tall point guards. <laughs> Anybody over 6'10 that can dribble and get four assists a game, well, 
you can be the point guard for Mo's team. So I am, I'm referring to Ben Simmons, uh, who, you know, is 6'10". But more and more importantly, we're talking about 6'11", Giannis Attenkutumpo, otherwise known as the Greek Freak. And he plays for Milwaukee, for those of you who don't know who that is. Uh, obviously, this kid's the real deal. Look, he was a first-round pick in 13. He's, he's super intriguing because he's just super long, okay? He's only 21 still. He's growing into his body. He's growing into his game. He's averaging 16 points a game, almost eight rebounds, and there's that magic number again, which seems like everybody and their mother can average four assists per game. Okay, pretty good. All right, he's also added four triple doubles, and he's playing solid ball on both ends of the court. Now, here's the thing. Jason Kidd and company want to move him to the point guard position, which I, for one, don't understand. You currently have Michael Carter-Williams, who has only been in the league about five years and has played for, like, five different teams. Nobody wants to keep him. Uh, shout out to Syracuse. There you go, Mo. Right up your alley. Um, look, he's been out since February. He's got a hip injury. He's going to miss the rest of the year. But before that, there were even rumors that Carter-Williams was on the outs. I'd like to know what's going on with this guy. Um, and we talked about it already. I don't understand this team. You got Jabari Parker and Greg Monroe. It's a weird fit. Uh, you know with forwards they were talking about trading Monroe but why would you want to take the one consistent scoring option I get putting the ball in his hand you know for the majority of every time you bring the ball up the court but you kind of isolate him you kind of put him on an island so that it's very easy that those 16 points a game could drop down to 10 yes it could go up to 22 but Again, are you willing to, to risk that and and really stunt in this guy's development as a wing scorer, as a six foot eleven guy who's you know uh, probably more athletic than Kevin Durant? I, that's not something that I would want to do. I would either stick Michael Carter Williams there or go out and get a point guard, like maybe a, a Ricky Rubio type that is just concerned about dishing the ball, you know, and and allowing the Greek freak. To, to find to find the lane because he can do he can do it all he really can I don't think it's a good idea but you know what do I know I don't live in Milwaukee uh, you know who else is about six ten can handle the ball very well still growing into his body and averages about four assists a game do you know who else does that you're gonna say Michael Gabanje or whatever his name is in Syracuse because I'm gonna lose no, it. Ben oh. Simmons yeah yeah I said ben that already Simmons. big deal. Yeah. Yes, that I don't so, want. I don't want four assists a game for my point guard. I'm sorry, four assists a game is not going to do it. Ten, eight, fine. Four. Listen to this. He averaged four assists a game as a non-point guard, so you can imagine what he can do if that's his main duty to distribute the ball. So of course that four assists is going to go up to about seven, eight. Yeah, but that's going to hurt his points. He's not going to get. He's not going to get sixteen points a game, and he's certainly not going to get seven boards because he's not going to be under the board. So again, it's fine if it goes up, but it's going to take away from what's more important is scoring points on a team that doesn't necessarily score a lot of points. So this is what happens, Mike. We, as we go into this new age of playing ball, we're getting 6'10 ball handlers like Ben Simmons. We're going to have to scrap this whole, again, I say this repeatedly, but we're going to have to scrap this idea of point guard shooting guards more for a power forward center. You're just going to have to. And and what, hap, what you're seeing now more is play uh, teams putting the ball in the hands of their best ball handler. You see that with James Harden in Houston. I mean, horrible example this year because they're not doing well, but they made it to the Western Conference Finals last year with that kind of system of putting the ball in the best ball handler's hands. James Harden is probably a shooting guard small forward, but he's the best ball handler on the team. Doesn't mean he's the point guard. He's maybe, you can call him a point forward or, or a tweener, but this is what Milwaukee, I guess, is envisioning with giving the ball to Giannis as the point guard, quote-unquote. He's going to bring the ball up court, and he, he's pretty good at distributing the ball. Again, four assists as a small forward when he's not expected to do so. 
So yes, his points will drop, but his scoring is not going to be his main duty. He's not going to be to score the basketball. It'll be to bring the ball to court and make decisions with the basketball. Similar to how Ben Simmons will be used if he's put in the right spot, if the head coach is smart enough to do that with Ben Simmons, that's going to be his role coming into the NBA. Now I say, hey, why not draft Benaje for the Milwaukee Bucks and put him in there and have him play defense on the wings. I mean, think about it. Jabari Parker, Greg Monroe, Benaje, Chris Middleton, and the Greek Freak. That's a, to me, that's a solid start lineup. You have defense, you have ball handling, you have shooting with Chris Middleton, you have a middle guy in, in the middle with Greg Monroe, doesn't play great defense, so you may have to switch that out. But I think it's a, it's a pretty interesting move. I wouldn't say, you know, on first look, it's a failure, but I, why not experiment and try it and that could open doors for ben simmons as he's coming into the league as a ball handler i know you hate that idea hate but it. it could be crazy enough to work i think it's a lot easier in this new wave nba that you keep speaking of uh to put a, a big body and not a huge body but a guy like like uh, harrison barnes shout out harrison barnes or to put out uh to put out draymond green who's only six nine and put them at the center or power forward i think that translate better because it's a stretch you're stretching the position i don't like the idea of taking a guy that's six ten six nine a la let's say lebron james what happens when cleveland used to put him at the point and you know crucial stretches of the game everybody knows he's got the ball okay so everybody knows that he's the first option, which is what everybody will know that the Greek freak is the first scoring option. So if he can't drive the lane, he's either going to force it up or he's going to make a pass that he's going to, you know, nine times out of ten is not going to end up in the right guy's hands. So that's what I worry because it really stops all movement of the ball. Look, it's not a natural thing. A, a smaller guy, uh, you know, can, can kind of play multiple positions but i think you limit yourself when you put that big guy at a traditional guard position uh you know again it worked for guys like tracy mcgrady because these were just you know a freak if you want to call them these were guys that were six seven but had the handles of a jason kid uh this is just i don't know i just think it's a bad idea i think they'll scrap it long before because i think at the end of the day he's so good and so young where he is and you can play him at three to four different positions anywhere from the two guard on up but why why do you want why do you want to make him the, the general on the on the court and make him that ultimate decision maker when he can do so much more damage and i mean that in a good way when he doesn't have the ball in his hands and he can create his own shot i mean think about it i mean when when Draymond Green probably played the five spot for the Warriors, I'm sure people scratched their heads and said, this is not going to work. And I know people would scratch their heads when they did it against the Cleveland Cavaliers when they had Timothy Mozgov. They said, Mozgov is just going to muscle this guy in. And, you know, Cleveland's going to take advantage of that. And it didn't happen. So I'm waiting to see what happens. And if they actually do make the move, of course, they just floated out there as an idea. Let's see if they actually commit to it. But if it, if it does happen, get ready for that new wave of NBA that I talked about on this podcast from probably episode two. I warned you here, Mike. You heard it here first. But um, <laughs> speaking of teams making some head-scratching moves, the 76ers is reported by Philly.com's Keith Pompey that they, they may shop Jalil Okafor and keep Joel Embiid. Now, I think this is a horrendous decision to make if you actually do this. I know... Jalil Okafor has some problems off the court. I know Nerlens Noel has been injured a little bit. But why would you say, okay, we're going to keep a guy who hasn't played a minute in the NBA? The guy could be Greg Oden, for all you know. I would wait to see what Joel Embiid brings to the court before I go around shopping Jalil Okafor. Now, they said they would probably let go of Jalil Okafor and keep Nerlens Noel and, and maybe keep Nerlens Noel and Embiid. To me, those two players are pretty much the same player. They're rim protectors. They're defensive players. 
you want to have a score and a defender to mismatch and offset. You know, they they kind of, you know, opposites attract kind of. You want to have one guy that can score, one guy that can rebound and block shots. So if Embiid is that guy that he was at Kansas, blocking shots, I believe he averaged 2.6 or 2.8 blocks per game, big rebound or eight rebounds a game. Why would you want to have two lane cloggers and then get rid of your basket score? I don't get that. No, and it's easy to say, like, oh, we're waiting on Joel Embiid because we've never seen him, okay? We've never seen him on a pro court. So it's easy to say, oh, he's the savior. But, you know, more than likely, uh, (laughs) we don't know if he'll ever play again because he's still in, I think, Qatar getting his foot looked at from, you know, specialists over in that side of the world. Uh, Yeah, it's it's scary because we've seen – I don't know. Unfortunately, I think we've seen the best Nerlens Noel is ever going to do. He he's a rim protector, like you said. He's a defensive player. He's pretty much has no offensive game. Maybe he can develop into a Tyson Chandler esque type of player, which would be fine. Would be really good. But he's got a long ways to go to get where Tyson Chandler was back when Tyson was, you know, uh, a Dallas Maverick the first time around, and then in the New York Nick. Jaleel Okafor got a lot of potential, and there's that you know that moniker again. I think what the Sixers and the Lakers should do is just make a swap. For last year's second and third picks, trade Okafor for Russell and just say like and and act like it never existed. The draft, like, oh no no no, we're the we're the Sixers and we drafted D'Angelo because it seems like both are a misfit in their in their current situation. The Lakers don't need any more uh, you know uh, point guard slash two guards and the Sixers do and they don't need any more big men. So that to me, I would just do that and call it a day and you can just trade them straight up and you don't need to exchange any money or any draft picks. But you know that makes too much sense in the world of, of sports where everything is just overblown but uh yeah it's just, just again man you look at the Sixers you look at the Lakers they can be bad for a long long time and they've been bad for a long time as it is and it's just like okay so when when do we turn a corner here but you just again this whole you know losing on purpose trying to stockpile draft picks uh after a while it it doesn't work anymore and if it doesn't again if it doesn't work this year uh and it doesn't result in something for next year then what i mean come on let's uh you know let's blow it up let's start over at this point it's the same thing with like the magic it's going on four years now that this rebuilding thing isn't working so again uh fan base i give the fan base in philly any credit for showing up whatsoever because after a while it's it's just like okay i'm gonna give you my money you can just punch me in the face so i know you guys probably hate lebron or maybe you don't like him or love him i don't know how you feel about lebron james out there in podcast world but lebron james played head coach for the Cleveland Cavaliers for day he sat out a game and he actually was on the sidelines behind Tyron Lue the real head coach barking out orders to, to his teammates and basically calling plays and to me I, it just rubs me the wrong way because it's like LeBron you know who you are you know you're the most recognizable NBA player in the league players obviously respect you you have championship rings why are you stepping on your new coach's toes like let let Tyron Lue do his job because when LeBron does things like this He's gonna he's gonna sway respect away from Toronto and to him as the guy to look to when you know the Cavaliers need a play they need to run a play they, you know when we need something who do we look to do we look to Tyron Lue or LeBron James and him doing that just kind of signifies that yes you look to me you look over Tyron Lue you look at me I'll guide the team I get it he's a leader on the floor and in the locker room but he wasn't playing in this game he wasn't in uniform LeBron has several seats buddy because. Tyron Lue is a new head coach. You fired, They fired David Blatt. You said you had nothing to do with that. Now Tyron Lue is trying to make his way as a head coach. He's a rookie head coach. 
Let him stretch his authority. Let him have his control over the team. We don't need you and your turtleneck barking <laughs> orders over his shoulder as as the surrogate head coach. It doesn't need to happen. LeBron needs to step back, act as a player. If you want to coach after you're done, fine. You want to talk to you guys on the sideline at a timeout, fine. But do not speak over Tyron Lue. He is your head coach. Respect his position. Respect my authority, but <laughs> first of all, uh, I look great in a turtleneck, so let's uh, <laughs> take that back for everybody that owns a turtleneck. And, but yeah, you're right about everything else. It was uh, it was ridiculous when I saw the highlight, like Tyron Lue and his like six foot two body just being like eclipsed by LeBron James, and it's just like, dude, what are you doing? Are you really hurt? Clearly, you're not hurt. You're like jumping around like a madman. And in the huddle, he's calling plays, and everybody, he's got everybody's attention. Like, like, obviously, we know what went down. Dude, you got your coach fired. And, like, you'll get this one fired, too, if it doesn't end right. It's just, man, such a bad look. But I think he's just desperate. He is super desperate at this point. Uh, he knows what he did. It's not – it looks really bad. And it's that maybe at this point he just doesn't care. He's like, I just – I, I need a championship. I need a championship, whatever it's going to take. Uh, man, but, dude, something's got to happen. He's either – he needs to win a championship and retire or – or leave or you know regardless win the championship and leave because something it's just so it's just so peculiar i've never seen a situation where a star player is just so screwed up and the things is that he brought on himself i mean he really did he wanted lou from day one he wanted tyron or tyron tyron tyrion but now now what now that he's got him it's not good enough like oh. <laughs> The thing with LeBron is, and I said this last podcast episode, I think he came back with the idea that, look, I run this. I'm going to do whatever I want. These guys treated me poorly when I left. If I come back, I want the whole ship. I want control of everything. I'm going to do what I want. So now he's on social media, and he's smoozing with his old teammates. He's out here with Dwayne Wade. He's contemplating a future reunion with his boys to play with a team. He's doing all these things. He's stepping on Tyron Lu's toes and everything. It's like, come on. This is a guy. You have a head coach who's been at who's, who hasn't been at his job for more than five months. His most known highlight is Allen Iverson stepping over him in the NBA Finals. And this is what you're going to do to a guy? You're going to step over him again? Basically, this is what you're doing again. And LeBron has to know this. He has to be aware. I don't think LeBron is that clueless as far as his social media, what he says. As far as what he does when he undermines head coaches from David Blatt, even dating back when he had his old head coaches, I mean, think about it. He's undermined a lot of head coaches because of his stardom, and I believe he understands what he's doing. And it does a disservice because then players are going to look to him instead of the head coach, and that causes issues. You need to have a head guy. And then if you want to be the best player on the, on the court and you want to be the head coach on the court, fine. I get it. You are the best player on your team. But again, do not step on the head coach's toes. You need the head coach to have the ear of the locker room, and LeBron's just taking that away. Maybe the only thing that'll ever change this is that LeBron, I don't know, plays under like Phil Jackson or Mike Shashevsky, because maybe those are like the only guys that he wouldn't kind of do this to. Because obviously he's he's kind of done it to everybody he's ever had coach him. I mean, it's it's crazy. Even Kobe never did this to Phil Jackson. You know, Michael Jordan never did it to Phil Jackson. So it's like, what is LeBron trying to get out of this? I mean, wouldn't he rather just play? I mean, be the best that he can. But obviously there's no trust there or there's a lack of it. Uh, so it, it's something bigger than uh, than we're, maybe we know about. But it's there's definitely a disconnect. So, you know, it's, uh, maybe he's just a sore loser, Mo. I, I think I think so. And speaking of sore losers in the NBA, in NCAA, 
there's a lot of solo losers going around, and I it, it again it just grinds my gears. We're gonna end the, the momentum with what basically grinds my gears about NBA and basketball in general right now, and it's just a lot of people taking losing the wrong way. Uh, Mike, uh, I'll let you take it away with the whole Mike Shevsky story. And I'll continue on with the Thunder and their beat Reggie Jackson. <laughs> Look, you probably heard by now that Coach K, after his, uh, you know, him and his Dukies lost to Oregon on Saturday, he lectured the Ducks star player Dylan Brooks about showboating. Uh, if you're not familiar, he didn't see the game. Brooks took a three-pointer with only a couple seconds left and, you know, made a crazy shot from, like, Steph Curry land. And he did, did a little shimmy, did a little thing. And at the end of the game, as everybody's congratulating everybody, Coach K came up to Brooks and he said, look, you're too good a player for that to be showing off. Uh, and, and Dylan Brooks was very cordial, and he said, you know, you're right, I'm sorry, you know, said it right away. The problem with this is that you can look at it from multiple ways. Uh, should Krzyzewski be scolding another player that's not his? No, probably not. But it is Coach K. It is the man that, you know, is probably going to go down as the greatest college basketball coach of all time. He's won numerous gold medals with Team USA. He's respected by everybody that's ever played the game. So you got to look at it like that. Now, if Coach K came up to me or, you know, something and said, hey, kid, you're a good player, but you shouldn't do that. Yeah, okay. Problem is, is that Coach K if you want to say a quote-unquote lied in the press, the, the, the post-game presser. I don't know why he did that. Maybe he was just, maybe he knew he did something wrong. Maybe he just didn't want it to get out because, you know, again, it's, we talk about it. Uh, things should stay in the locker room. Things should also stay on the court. He's talking to a kid. It's not like he's curse words. It's not like he said anything negative. He said, look, you're too good a player to be doing that. So I think this is kind of blown out of proportion. But then again, you can look at it like, you know, Duke, the Dukies have always kind of had this kind of stigma about them. You know, you've got the Christian Leitner's of the world. I mean, there's a 30 for 30 called We Hate Christian Leitner. Bobby Hurley. I mean, J.J. Redick. Wojciechowski. I mean, we can go on and on about all these guys that have just kind of always been hated to a certain extent. And it's because they're really good. Now, you know, if you want to say that this Grayson Allen this year is a dirty player to a certain extent i won't fight you on it because it does seem like every time he goes up in the lane he's throwing his legs out uh you know he's kind of a takedown type of player but again this is kind of the way duke does things uh recently came out that though in 2007 duke uh coach k had a, a similar chat with former virginia tech guard zabian dowell uh following uh overtime win over duke which at the time duke was number five Powell, Dowell scored 20 points, had five steals, and he bumped chest with a teammate and flashed his jersey to the Cameron Crazies. Obviously, this was in Cameron Indoor. Uh, Coach K came up to him at the game, and he said, uh, I'm too classy of a guy to be carrying on like that. So, obviously, this isn't a new thing. Obviously, it got out. So, regardless of the matter, if you feel that it shouldn't have got out or not, something's off, something's off kilter. You know, either, either Coach K needs to kind of, you know, lock it up, uh, to quote, uh, you know, wedding crashers. Uh, and, you know, kind of understand, like, you're not above the game either, Coach K. Like, you're great. You've been around forever. Everybody loves you. But, you know, worry about your own house. Or everybody should just say uh, Coach K can do whatever the hell he wants because he's Coach K. So, you know, either either way of the spectrum, it's uh, we got to just kind of pick a side of the fence and stay with it because it's, you know, you got all these ex-Duke players like Shane Battier who, you know, was on Dan Lebertard and he's defending Coach K, obviously. These NCAA coaches think they're above the law. They really think they're guys. I mean, I like Mike Krzyzewski, Coach K, great guy, Olympic coach, but he's got to understand that he needs to worry about his team. Sure. Now, if Oregon, if Dana Altman wanted to score Dylan Brooks for what he did, fine, but he actually took blame and said, that was his bad for mismanaging the game clock and the shot clock. They were mismatched, so of course, 
Oregon would have been facing a violation, a shot clock violation. True. So to me, I believe it wasn't a big deal. I mean, Dylan Brooks chucked up a shot. He probably didn't even think it would go in. I, I know Dana Altman said he didn't think it would go in, but it did. So what? I mean, does it really change anything? It was 82 to 68. So it would have been 79, 68. You want to, you trying to cover a spread or something? <laughs> I mean, think about it. Krzyzewski acted like a kid that was caught red-handed doing something wrong. I, the reporters called him out. Kudos to them for calling him out post game, not treating him like a god. And said, "Did you say this?" And he says, "Well, I said he's a terrific player, and you can take whatever he said and then go with it." No, buddy, you know what you said. Just admit to it. And then to, to try to cover it up after, it's just like, okay, admit you're wrong. Say what you said. It's not like to say anything bad. But he probably understood how it would be taken by the media as Coach K scolding another player from a different team. But take your lumps. You said it. Own up to it. I mean, you're a head coach. You probably teach kids about accountability. You need to be accountable for your words, too. When somebody calls you out, own it. It's true. And he didn't. And I was just kind of disappointed that he that he didn't own it. But, again, these NCAA coaches think they're above the, above the law. But in that moment, Coach K was a sore loser, and I don't think it was a big deal. It's blown out of proportion from the perspective that Coach K had just said, yes, I said this, it would have been done. They would have criticized him and it would have been over, but he's Coach K, so it would have eventually just went away eventually. So he, he, he blew it up with his lie, in my opinion. Absolutely. He but, did. Uh, he did. But it's okay when Coach K brings home another goal this summer in uh, Rio. Every, all will be forgotten. Uh, of course, but uh, moving on to sore losers in the NBA, I saw the end highlights to this, and I remember seeing Reggie Jackson just kind of running all over the court as if he won the NBA Finals, and KD, Kevin Durant, actually agrees, agrees with me, and he said, and I quote, it was Bush League in my opinion, jumping up and down, running around, I understand you're happy you won the game, but our whole team didn't play, we would have beat the hell out of them if, they, if, if we did, who cares about Detroit? Now, I don't know, Kevin Durant, I mean, he's been a little chippy lately with the media, but he goes on and says, who cares about Detroit? It's Detroit. And he didn't have to go that far and just the whole city. But I understand where his beef is coming from, but I also look at it from the perspective of, okay, Reggie Jackson felt slighted with the Thunder. When he was there, he wanted to start. Thunder wasn't willing to give him the chance. It was kind of like the James Harden situation where he got tired of coming off the bench. He wanted to run his own team. He wanted to be a starting point guard. It didn't happen. So obviously when he goes to his new team and he meets his old team that didn't give him the opportunity that he has now, obviously he's going to react in a certain way, especially in front of his own fans. So again, why are we legislating how, how players act when they win? You know, I understand we all say, oh, act like you've been there before. No, no. If I win something and I'm happy about it, I'm not going to go, well, I don't want them to judge me or think, you know, I'm over-celebrating, so I'm just going to keep quiet and celebrate to myself in the corner. No. And life is too short celebrate you know fine if you win okay if his head coach if stan van we know how much of a mother hand stan van gundy is <laughs> if Stan van gundy thought he over celebrated trust me he would be in his face saying kid you need to calm that down but unless stan van says something and he's his head coach i don't have a problem with reggie jackson celebrating again he's in a place where he's now happy his former team didn't give him that opportunity and he's showing them that i can pull through yes he went 4 15 that night but he scored i believe the eight of the last 11 points for the Detroit Pistons to get that win. Whether the team of the Thunder was in hole or not, Reggie Jackson deserves to celebrate. He's the winner. Stop being a sore loser, Kevin Durant. Westbrook follows suit and called it real BS, basically said he didn't appreciate it. And I find it funny because early in the season when the Thunder played the, the Pistons, I believe, and the Pistons came to Oklahoma City, 
and they asked Westbrook about Reggie Jackson, he report, he said who as if he didn't know who Reggie Jackson was. <laughs> so obviously there's a lot of black, there's a lot of bad blood there. Reggie Jackson felt that, and he has a right to celebrate after these guys shunned him. Detroit, what? <laughs> so Kevin Durant will not be taking any uh, free agency meetings with the Pistons is what you're basically telling me okay yeah no no yeah absolutely I would, I would have just liked to see uh, your boy Reggie Jackson do this uh, in the was it Chesapeake Bay Arena in Oklahoma City that would have been cool it's one thing to do it on your own home court and I get that he won the game totally okay with it but you want to be the man you want to really leave your mark do it in Oklahoma City son that's what I'm talking about <laughs> He, he did his thing. I mean, he faced his former team. Kevin Durant, I get it, wasn't playing, but Russell Westbrook was on the court. We know how competitive Russell Westbrook is. And to get that win was probably big in his life, probably one of the best things of his NBA career, best game of his life, even though he didn't play the best game, but the result was just that much sweeter. Because, again, he wanted the opportunity. They didn't give it to him, so he said, hey, Look, I can play ball. I can run this. I can run the point guard position. This is what you're missing out on. Yeah, it's it's, it's a pretty simple. I think that's really what like uh, you know guys our age, twenties, thirties, as compared to some of the uh, older folk doing this radio sports talk thing. You know, that's where we differentiate ourselves. You know, it's kind of the old school mentality versus new school, where you know the old school doesn't really appreciate that, whereas we see it from. Uh, we, we would do that if we were on the court, you know, having fun with our friends or, you know, somebody we used to play with that kind of rubbed us the wrong way. We would get all up in their face or have fun with it. So, you know, different mentalities. Everybody's going to kind of take it a different way. But at the end of the day, nobody got hurt. Nobody Nobody's going to really uh, care about this, you know, come two weeks from now when they're when at least, you know, one of the teams is in the playoffs. So it'll be interesting to see. But that's it for building momentum. You heard it here. Mo got, uh, Mo got his gears Nice and greased because he was hot under the collar today, ladies and gentlemen. But we'll get back at you soon with the wrap-up. Stay tuned. This is the wrap-up. So we started this podcast episode off with baseball. We're going to end with baseball, rightfully so. As I said, opening day is right around the corner this weekend. So I'm going to ask Mike, which baseball game is he, which team is he looking forward to opening day? And as far as opening days are concerned, among the four major sports in America, in America, which opening day is do you look forward to most? Or you can rank them, basically. Okay, I'll take that question first. Um, hockey has an opening day. I don't even know. I don't, <laughs> I don't, yeah, I, actually, I don't mind, like, the Winter Classic. It's just kind of cool when they play in, like, the giant, uh, you know, uh, baseball stadiums or football stadiums. But I don't really – I don't personally get all ex- excited. And I don't really get really very excited for, like, the NBA tip-off because, as you can see, like, it seems the NBA games don't really mean a whole lot till like, Christmas Day, unfortunately. It's, you know, it's a long season, 82 games. So I would rank – I would rank baseball and football up there – uh, I re- I dig the football because it's on a Thursday night, so everybody's kind of you know super excited. I hate Thursday night games after that though. Thursday night games I think are just awfully played. It's usually two teams that nobody cares about. I think they do that on purpose. Uh, but that first game is pretty cool. I think you know we obviously we don't have the schedule yet, but it would be it's going to be pretty fun uh, to see maybe Denver and New England again, or maybe we'll see a Super Bowl rematch. I don't know. That's cool. But for me, it's baseball because uh, it's just and it's funny. 
too, because baseball's changed. It used to be baseball would open up on a Monday, and it was always like the Cincinnati Reds opening, because that's just the way it's a baseball historical thing. The Reds were the first baseball team professionally. That's the way they play. It's changed now. Now it's a Sunday night thing. Uh, so this year, it, you know, if you're, you're watching baseball, you got to start Sunday night ESPN. It's the Mets and the Royals. It's a World Series rematch. Uh, and it's funny, too, because these are two teams that got a little chippy last year in the World Series. If you remember, uh, Norris Syndergaard threw right over the head of Alcides Escobar in Game 3. Uh, benches didn't clear, but there were some uh, chippy words. It's actually the only game of the series the Mets won. Royals beat them down 4-1. to one. Uh, And obviously, that, that kind of set a tone for that game. Escobar did strike out in three pitches uh, that night after. So there were some reports this week that, uh, you know, the Royals were planning on uh, plunking you know, somebody on the Mets. Obviously, now uh, Ned Yost, manager of the Royals, came out and said, well, that's garbage. I don't know where you guys get this. I actually think that probably was the plan, and Ned Yost uh, was a little bitter that it came out. Probably better that it did. We don't want to see anybody get hurt or anybody get uh, suspended for any length of time, especially opening night. But it's funny because the Royals, they're trying to rub it in the Mets' face to a certain extent. They're going to be doing uh, opening festivities the first and second game. They're going to be doing uh, World Series commemorations. They're going to bring out players that aren't with the team, players from their old uh championship club i think it was back in 85 the brett saberhagen year so a little bit rubbing in the mets face especially you know it's the first game of the year so they're doing their thing and obviously uh for me personally uh the next day monday the fourth gotta watch the yankees one o'clock they're playing the astros uh we'll see if the astros are for real last year this was the wild card playing game unfortunately the yankees did lose to the astros so it'll be fun to see if the yankees can get a little bit of uh retribution uh tanaka will be going for the for the yankees he looked okay in his last uh you know spring training game didn't look great before that and of course houston does have the reigning american league Cy young award winner dallas keichel strong big lefty it could shut down some of the Yankees' left-handed uh, hitting, but we shall see. Again, let's hope Andrew Miller is healthy. Uh, that would be a good way for the Yankees to start the season. And then I think the last game uh, to get excited about is that night, 10 o'clock, uh, for you people on the West Coast, 7 o'clock. It's the Cubbies and the Angels. Obviously, uh, the Angels got the best player, in my opinion, in the game, Mike Trout. Uh, he, the guy's not even near his prime yet. He's, what, 23, 24 years old. Uh, he's just amazing. He's, he's a lot of fun to watch. Plays a fantastic center field. Hits for average. I mean, the guy's a five-tool player. I don't need to tell you that. But the big thing is the Cubbies. Where do the Cubbies go this year? We got John. They got John Lester on the mound. They've got a ton of young talent. Uh, everybody, uh, and again, everybody and their mother is the theme of the show, seems to be predicting them to go to the World Series. Uh, that's that's pretty uh, it's, it's a pretty big order. I mean, this is a team that hasn't won a World Series since, uh, is it 1909? Uh, that's a long time. So, uh, again, a lot of pressure on a team. If they come out of the gate slow, uh, there's going to be even more pressure put on them, for, especially for a team that doesn't have uh, one of the – not the – doesn't have a great – pitching staff you know starting staff they got nice guys they got obviously the national league uh cy young award winner jake arietta they picked up john lackey from the cardinals they've got you know kyle kendrick's coming back they've got some decent pieces with the bullpen eh, bullpen's a little shaky hector rondon out of that closer position uh that'll be somewhere that they'll probably need to address uh before the july 31st trade deadline but those are the games to keep an eye on there's plenty of great games no matter where your team is that's the beauty of it come uh come april 3rd april 4th every Everybody's in it right then and there, okay? So if you've got a favorite team, uh, your team's got a chance to win it at all. That's really the beauty of Major League Baseball. Up until about, you know, let's say the start of June, everybody's kind of in contention. Obviously, it's a long, long season. A lot can happen, just like injuries can kind of come out of nowhere, freak injuries. If your team is healthy, uh, timely hitting, 
great pitching, solid defense. Those are the keys to winning. Uh, and if you make the right tr- uh, transaction, like the New York Mets did last year with Jonas uh, Cespedes getting him from uh, from the Detroit Tigers, it can really go a long way to to bringing your team to the promised land. Unfortunately, they didn't win it, but the Mets will be strong this year. And uh, you know, tune in uh, Sunday night and watch them uh, see what they can do against the Kansas City Royals. Again, shout out to Canada. Uh, I understand hockey's Canada sport, but uh, NHL kind of be at the bottom of the ladder for me. I don't yeah. watch too much of NHL stuff. I did as a kid, uh, apparently, but I lost all that NHL knowledge, and I just don't follow it as I used to. As Mike said, the Winter Classic game is pretty cool. I do try to check into that game. As far as NBA and MLB, uh, I'll say this. I would say MLB is probably third from the list. Mike knows that. Not a huge MLB guy, but if I can go to an opening day, let's say I go to a Mets opening day game, that would be pretty cool. And I would say that would be second if I can actually physically be there. But watching on TV just doesn't have the same flair for me. The NBA for me is second opening day. Even though it's not as important, there are 82 games and Christmas is, is the day I start tuning into actually what's going on hardcore. But uh, fantasy basketball is in play, so when NBA takes <laughs> off, I'm there because I need my fantasy team to dominate as I do every year. Uh, NFL, apparently, obviously number one on sure. the list for me because not only am I an NFL writer, check me out on Spin Zone and Bleach Report, but I, I just thought everything had to do with the NFL. NFL is, is my calling card. Obviously, we didn't have too much NFL on the show today because it's pretty much a slow time right before the draft comes, but of course that's going to ramp up as we get closer to April 20th, April 30th. And that three-day fiasco, there's a lot going on as far as who could trade up for a quarterback and things of that matter. It's going to be interesting. Obviously, we'll see the Denver Broncos open up the season. It's a tradition of having the Super Bowl team start off on a Thursday. Last year, we saw New England and Pittsburgh go at it, and people thought Pittsburgh were done based on their first week of performance, but it turns out they were they were a tough Tough team to get out of the playoffs. They had some injuries, and I believe with, with their full roster, they could have made a run to the Super Bowl, but I won't say that out loud for uh, New England Patriots fans. But uh, obviously, NFL's got to be number one. Uh, NBA, number two. MLB, number three. NHL, after that. I would even say college college football has a place to be yeah. somewhere in between MLB and NBA. I follow college football pretty well, even though I didn't go to a football school. Yes, I went to St. John's, but I'm more of a college football guy than a college basketball guy. Obviously, we all pay attention to the NCAA tournament, the 64-68 team, including the playing games. But uh, people don't really care too much about college basketball casual sports fans until March Madness, the tournament, which we will see the finale of in the upcoming week or two with, with Syracuse and North Carolina and Oklahoma and the team they're playing that is slipping my mind. I don't know why. Mm, I wonder. Uh, <laughs> but um, maybe because they beat Kansas. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's, it's a fun time this time of year. We're right in between NBA draft and opening day for baseball. Um, and uh, NBA is coming to an end. Again, I'm rooting for the Warriors to break the record. Hopefully, they do it on my birthday. That will make it super special. I'm looking out for that. And, of course, we'll, we'll continue to pump out these podcasts for you. Yeah. As always, mentalitymedia.com slash Mike and Mo Show. On Twitter, Mike Mo Show. On Facebook, Mike and Mo Show. If you, I mean, I don't, I don't know how many more times I can tell you. Go to iTunes, subscribe, review, listen, share, tell your friends, tell your uncle, tell everybody that has an iTunes or Twitter or something or other account. And by next week, I'm going to do my best to get Mo on Snapchat. I'm just saying. It probably won't happen, but that's my goal. 
Until next week, I am Mike. He is Mo. It's been fun as always. And like we say, without life, there is no sports. So be good. Be good to one another. Enjoy life. Look at them sports. Watch my North Carolina Tar Heels steamroll the Syracuse Orange and then beat up Buddy Heel and the Oklahoma Sooners. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Mo, don't laugh. I hope, you, I hope you write that apology while you're over there. There will be no apology. Jim Beheim is going to be apologizing to me that he even came out and he just put on a terrible showing on Saturday night and he made me watch an hour and a half of basketball when they just shouldn't even have been there. Yep, that's right. Mark it down. Put it in your calendars, Jim. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, sir. <laughs> Jim, I would love to have you on the show. If you're listening, Jim, Be- Jim Beheim. You can come on the show. You can chew Mike out after the W. Absolutely. And then you can say, you know what? That Mike kid knows this is basketball. So you want to take over the program and be like, no, I got a radio show. I can't, I can't, I'm not going to Syracuse. It's too damn cold up there. That's what I'm going to say. So, you know what? Go Heels. That's right. But anyway, like we said, episode seven, we are out. Until next week. Again, I'm still Mike. He's still Mo. Everybody <laughs> take care. We'll talk soon. Good night.